I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And we love to watch. Live to watch is a repeat offender. They've offended, and they will repeat again. Effectors. <laughs> that's a that's a Minecraft uh, term, I think. For great, like a uh, what a, circuit. What a, <laughs> I mean, if you're listening to this in our canon, it's been a while since we've released a truly new episode. So uh, you could call it like shaking the jitters out, but that's not at all what's happening because we've recorded this way before. Uh, you're listening to it, uh, but yeah, we've just come off a little bit of a break. You still heard a bunch of episodes of our sidecast, don't you dare, our 300th episode. Um, and uh, start tracks and now we're back we're back with a new month one that we're really excited of about where we love to watch we're a movie podcast pick a theme we do movies over over the course of the month around that theme and if we remember we compare and contrast and we're like i said in a new month this i think was probably in a month in a year where we had a lot of months we were excited about peter you proposed this and i think I was like, uh, no, 100% in, don't need to convince me anymore, like, let's do this tomorrow, let's do it tomorrow. And of course we had to wait until the actual month came out, but this took zero convincing, which yeah. is probably not surprising to you. <clears throat> yeah, so the theme of the month is Fuck Ronald Reagan, um, so we're doing a series of 80s. Hold movies. on, I want to be very clear before you get any further. We, talk, we thought about calling it Fuck Reagan, we thought about calling it Reagan Sucks, we want to be extraordinarily clear to our audience Everyone listening, we're doing films whose ultimate message is fuck Ronald Reagan. Now, we're not saying necessarily that that is the position of our podcast by doing this as a theme month. We're saying the films we're talking about are very much about uh, saying fuck you to Ronald Reagan. Separately from that, I want to be very clear that our position of the show is also uh, that Ronald Reagan can go. Uh, fuck himself and he sucks and the best thing he did was die go ahead yeah yeah uh couldn't couldn't agree more that that is the position of these movies yes which the show is separately from the show yeah oh yeah couldn't agree more i passionately agree with what you passionately agree but i just want to theme of these movies that is definitely the theme of these movies separately peter yes um if i had never seen these movies if we didn't talk about them that would also be the theme of my life. So <laughs> and, I, I just want to get that out there to everyone. And I also want to declare that we are doing a little skip across the ocean. And one of them is really more fuck Maggie Thatcher than fuck Ronald Reagan. But uh, it's all the same. We're, get, we're getting there. Um, <laughs> but yes, so the theme, of, the theme of this month is fuck Ronald Reagan. 
So there are a handful of movies that I have no idea how we haven't done on the show yet because they're just like such bona fide genre classics. Yeah. That like it feels silly that we were holding out so long. Um, well, I mean, some of it is that the right we, home for it. Yeah, we had to find the right home. Also, you know, we just did our this is our three hundred first new episode of We Love to Watch. We've done three hundred movies. I don't know if you've been on spending time on Letterbox or IMDb. You'll find that even though three hundred movies is definitely a lot of podcast episodes, there is a like double that when it comes to actual movies that exist. So we're we're getting there. We're halfway through. You're going to see a lot of good stuff on the back half. Yeah, there's at least. I, I don't want to be crazier. At least three times as many movies out there. There's a lot. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I I feel safe saying double. Oh yeah, but I don't. I don't. I, 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 I don't. I don't feel safe. safe saying triple, but I'll say it. Yeah, because you you like to live dangerously. Yeah, <laughs> by um, misestimating the amount of movies. But here's your problem. It's okay to misestimate when you go over Price is Right rules. You lose movies. Mm-hmm. You don't get to watch movies anymore. <laughs> as soon as I hit three hundred. Oh wait, did I lose the concept. No, if, of if you get if you overestimate the amount of movies that there are, yeah. So I, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, I got it, it could be somewhere in between double and triple. You know, I haven't. You know, there's other countries that made movies too, and I might not be thinking of those when I when I put my full calculations into place. But I'm saying that I feel safer saying double on the rule that if I were to go over the amount of movies that exist in the entire world <laughs> ever, I would lose the ability to watch movies again. Yeah, I feel comfortable saying that. I feel comfortable with you saying that. In that, um, I think there's triple now. I've gotten I've gotten more bold. Okay, are you, con- are are you counting shorts? Hundred card carrying American films out there. Oh, you're saying American? I'm saying in the whole world. This is all right. Well, we'll let the judges decide. We'll see what happens. Well, if it happened outside of Hollywood, it's not. Real if funny. Peter's not on the 302nd episode, we know why. Yeah. <laughs> Because I can't watch movies. Well, that, that's watch when we movies. switched to our original format, which was uh, one of us watches a movie every week and then explains the movie to the other person. Yeah, we've I done watch it, an but... episode of that. Yeah. <laughs> all of our episodes are just the future sport episode about every all the other 300 movies that exist. It's a legal loophole that I can have movies explained to me. Just like there's no law against dogs playing basketball. There's nothing in the rule book about having a movie explained to you on a podcast. Not illegal. No one will throw you in jail. I read all the laws. Yeah. And you know what? We're going to talk about someone today that enforces the laws to kick off Fuck Ronald Reagan. Right? Yeah. Um. So, yeah. We're talking about a movie that I have, no I-, I have no idea why we haven't done. We haven't done a movie by the director, Peter. And it's a director well, that both of us have a deep amount of passion for. And deep. who I think, I think, uh... Made the two, the two quintessential like balls to the walls wild eighties action movies that most of them only aspired to aspired to be. What's the other one? Total Recall. Oh, that was nineteen ninety. Oh man, but it's it's an eighties movie. It's sure. Made in the eighties. I agree. I mean, his his like Starship Troopers, RoboCop, and Total Recall. I like. Anytime I make a top 100 list, whether I was in high school or to this day, they're always on there. Like, it's impossible for them not to be on there. Yeah, and you go to local high schools and you make your lists. And uh, I made a list when I was in high school. I still make my lists in a high school. It's the best place to get your ranking done. You have an iPad now. You can do it on the go as you're being chased off campus. I go to, I go to the Meta High School. I go to the Virtual World with my iPad and I rank movies your honor your honor 
Your honor. Your honor. Come on. Come on. He was ranking movies. <laughs> Come on. Just because um, he was polling everyone. <laughs> so we are starting with RoboCop. And what I think is important to note here is that I both have about six hours of content for the movie RoboCop because I deeply, deeply love and it. And I it's have movie patience just... for three hours of content. <laughs> and Tops. also, and also, I have I spent about, I would say... Three or four hours doing research on on RoboCop, and uh, then I spent about five hours doing research on Ronald Reagan, and I used them to kind of counterbalance one of the because when I would get too mad about Ronald Reagan, I'd be like, <laughs> I'd be like, I wonder how Phil Tippett made that ED two hundred nine sequence, and then I'd watch a little YouTube clip. Yeah, you gotta switch back and forth between Reagan and Phil Tippett, the the two kings of the eighties, as mm-hmm. they call. As yeah. they called them. Uh, yeah. A tippet of the hat to Phil. Yeah, we're, you're going to find out a little bit of tippet of how he made the movie today. <laughs> a, few, a few tippets. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, first thing, I think the most important thing about this movie, RoboCop, that we should let you know is that no one wanted it to be called RoboCop and everyone thought that title was stupid. It's and I think Robo-Cop, they're stupid. The Future of Law Enforcement was the full title. <laughs> I know. I think they're stupid. They were afraid of marketing it to adults mm-hmm. uh, because adults would apparently even some of the first trailers everyone like laughed uh, like like they were watching like you know the the weird knockoff parody like Robert Cop or something. I think what they should have done is here, here's my idea to make everyone happy, Peter. Mm-hmm. Could, you want to keep it somewhat the same as RoboCop, but you make a, a a tweak to let it know that this one's for the boys, and you call it Brobocop. Oh yeah, well you got yeah. you. He's got to be for the boys. Directive, oh, it's, it's RoboCop. Directive 4 is party all the time. Yeah. Oh, I think it is. <laughs> um, no, but uh, so you know, I... You know what uh, RoboCop, dan- what dance RoboCop would be really good at? The robot? <laughs> I wasn't even thinking of that. I was thinking the stinky leg. Oh, yeah. Anything he where has... he gets to... We're going to talk about it for quite a long time, but anything where he really gets to like push that booty out because it up. Uh, he's got a dump truck yeah he does he's loaded didn't even think about him doing the robot this is the second movie canonically in our order in a row where we've talked about the main character having a dump truck <laughs> i gotta tell you uh i think we can uh when we do they live next week we gotta talk about roddy piper i i feel way better about talking about peter weller's robot ass than i do about julia roberts human ass I think that's true. We don't even know if that made it in the cut, but I will say this, and this is really important. It's okay to talk about – we're not talking about Peter Weller, Murphy's ass. Mm-hmm. We're talking about RoboCop, and RoboCop is a is a thing owned by a corporation, and corporations can have dump trunks, my friend. Uh, All your dump trucks in the neighborhood are probably owned by a corporation. Two things to know. Corporations are people. They can have dump trucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, why it's funny that like people didn't like the name and they thought they would associate it with, with childhood. I associate RoboCop with childhood because the 80s and the 90s were fucking nuts, Peter. You weren't born until 1990. You don't know how weird it was. And I didn't realize how weird it was until later in my life. I, I just thought it was good as a kid. <laughs> I put no other thought into it that hard R movies were – they made toys that were constantly marketed to kids. Mm-hmm. It's fucking insane. Well, they also they had a would... RoboCop. RoboCop 3 basically turned into a children's movie and became PG-13. And RoboCop, the animated series, 
uh, is marketed directly at children. It's not like some weird subversive Adult Swim thing 20 years too early. It, it was a, a children's cartoon. And I had, yeah. I had a RoboCop um, arm, a gun arm. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think was from one of the sequels, because in one of the sequels he gets like essentially like a heavy machine gun arm, um, and it like it you like hide your hand in it and it gives you like a cyborg arm. It was rad. Yeah, I was hyper from like hyper hyper familiar with RoboCop, Aliens, Terminator, um, even some weirder stuff like Police Academy, where like <laughs> which is a differently not a not a movie for kids. But they, they like they made toys and cartoon police academy had a cartoon that was targeted to kids. Uh uh, you know, I had a Robocop action figure. Like these are movies that I was not allowed to see and that like, you know, my friends had alien toys and all this kind of stuff. And it was it's so bizarre because it's not something you would ever see today, but it was also at a time when like, you know, the PG thirteen movie was basically like not the huge box office draw, like uh, you know, the R-rated movies were at the top of the box office, and, like, they were pre- – I think the idea of, like, well, yeah, we're not letting kids see RoboCop. We're making a toy that they will like based on the movie. But, of course, you know, if you are excited about the toy RoboCop, it's getting you excited to see a movie called RoboCop. So I definitely had much cooler friends than me in elementary school who had seen these movies. But I didn't see – I don't think any of I, – I saw Terminator 2 – no, I guess I, it would have been high school. I don't think I saw any, like, the Terminator Aliens or Robocop. I don't think I saw it until I was in high school. And I, I fell in love with them. We talked about that one when we talked about, I think, one of the Alien movies. That, like, you see these movies in high school and, like, you didn't know movies could be this good. <laughs> and, like, it opened up the idea of, like, what other amazing movies are there. That was the way I felt about Robocop. I did not know... Going in, I uh, funnily enough, I had seen Starship Troopers before RoboCop. I saw Starship Troopers in theaters. Um, I saw it in 1997. I would have been 14. Um, and I, so it would have been uh, junior high, like the summer before ninth grade, I think. I loved it. I loved Starship Troopers. And I, like, I, I, I'm not saying, like, I was, a sp- like, a, I don't want to, this is going to make me sound like a huge uh, tool. But, like, I got the the satire. I don't know why some people did. But, I mean, I wasn't particularly, like, a clever 14-year-old kid or anything. But, like, I understood how funny it was and how, like, anti-war it was. And I fucking loved it. Um, I, I was a little gross for my taste at the time, but I adored it. And part of it, I think, is, too, so I had a friend named Nathan. And him and I would spend all summer reading books and then uh, – and we would b- both read the same book at the same time. And so we can talk about it because we hung out all the time. And so he picked, knowing that the Starship Troopers adaptation came out, he picked the Robert Heinlein book, Starship Troopers. Peter, we don't have a long time for a detour on this, but have you ever read Robert Heinlein's Starship Troopers? Uh, no, I haven't. It's fucking terrible. I've heard uh, nothing but bad things about it, and that uh, and that Verhoeven consciously chose to undermine uh, everything in the book yep. to, to improve. Oh, it's, it's like, I don't think I was smart enough at 14 to go, oh, this is fascist. I thought it was, oh, this is boring and weirdly pro-war, and I hate this. Like, I just didn't like it at all. And so I was not excited about the movie. And when I realized that the movie was making fun of the book and had all this, like, uh, you know, satirical, comedic elements to it and was definitely not adapting a book that I hated, I loved it. 
But I don't think, like, when I say, like, I saw RoboCop in high school, I, I think it would have been, like, probably, like, my next year, like, when I was, whatever, sophomore in high school. It was one of the first things, like, I, I still remember renting it with friends. Like, I've always wanted to see this. We're going to watch RoboCop. And I, I I don't know. I don't think I knew enough about directors to that point yet. I was still just kind of stepping into uh, my, my cinephilia that, like, even if I knew that, I, I don't remember if I knew. I probably knew because I remember all the, the the ads for Starship Trooper saying from the director of Total Recall and 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 RoboCop. Um, and I'd seen Total Recall at that point too, and I remember just thinking that ruled as a sci-fi action movie with a girl with uh, three three breasts, which was very exciting for a thirteen-year-old or however I was, however old I was when I saw that. Um, um, exciting for a boy of thirteen, thirty, or three hundred. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm not saying you grow out of it. I'm just saying every time uh, I watch the movie, I'm like, "Wow, great work on the three. It's more than normal. It's wonderful." Yeah, and I, uh, so I, uh, I did not expect. Like, I, I just thought RoboCop was a straight action movie. So when it starts with the like opening ads and it's like hitting those same kind of satirical elements. I was so in and I was so like, oh, yeah, it's going to be the same thing because, you know, it's the same director who's going to be taking this and not necessarily doing like just a straight ahead. A guy becomes a robot cop and shoots people, but a movie that has something to say. And at that point, I was a little more older and a little more able to also just like definitely key into uh, like I, I, I knew Starship Troopers was making fun of war. I don't think I knew when I saw it in thirteen or fourteen. I was making fun of like not making fun of, but sa- satirizing like fascist propaganda and stuff like that. Um, but I, I was pretty keyed into what RoboCop was doing immediately, and I loved it, and, and still love it. And yeah, Peter, you, you watched it a couple days before me, and were like, "Hey, I'm glad we picked this to do this week because I." Uh, just want to chime in and say RoboCop still fucking owns Bones. And Peter could not agree more. It owns Bones. It owns it, all the Bones. Yeah, it, it owns it owns an extreme amount of Bones because RoboCop makes people into Bones by shooting them and blowing them up. Yeah, I mean, it's it's ironic in a, in a way that it owns so much Bones considering the RoboCop, the titular RoboCop, doesn't have all of his Bones. He's Very got Very few Bones. They wouldn't even let him keep his left arm. <laughs> Yeah, some bones gone, some bones still there. Yeah, I the first time I saw RoboCop, <clears throat> Total Recall, and Starship Troopers, I had no concept of what satire was, and I just thought they were fucking ridiculous and loved them. Yeah, I remember showing Starship Troopers to a friend of mine when I was like ten. And being so that's like, funny. So you saw you those two first this? as well. Yeah, I was like, "There's a fucking, there's a fucking." brain sucking bug at the end and i was like it kind of the was staring at the staring <laughs> at the brain sucking bug kind of makes me feel weird um, yeah. um so yeah the first time i saw these movies i saw them way too young and thus had no connection to the satire uh and then i, I saw probably robocop and T- total recall again when i was 13 and then saw um starship troopers when i was like 14 15 and and, and instantly connected with, with the the humor of them and then i was like oh these are conscious yeah, conscious chosen jokes, and then I it took me like a couple more years to codify that into like a, like what the political statements political were. political point of view. Yeah, yeah, because at that time I was I probably my political point of view was probably like George Bush sucks, um, which I'm glad to have gotten on that train early. But um, 
Yeah, I went from the thing that made me care about politics, which we talked about in Fahrenheit 9-11, was that George Bush sucked. Like, I I don't think I cared all that much. Before, I knew I was anti- like, I I definitely had- I wouldn't have ascribed them to political positions, but I definitely had a political perspective and a political- like, I was very anti-war. I thought I was- you know, I very much thought the army recruiters and people that joined the army in my school were um, dumb. I didn't. I thought all of that was dumb. Why would you do that? Why would you go do it? Like so, I like I connected with the idea of like Starship Troopers equals war is stupid, you know. Um, but I do, I didn't quite understand exactly what it was doing, um, and I don't know if I connected clearly the first time I saw RoboCop with the idea of like corporate fascism or like capitalistic. Like I, I knew just enough about cyberpunk to know that they were making fun of corporations, but yeah. I, I didn't know when I was thirteen. I knew just enough about it about it to be like they're making fun of corporations, but not like any of the specifics about privatization yeah. that we'll yeah. get into in the episode. Yeah. So, did you ever before we get into the movie itself and and some Verhoeven talk? Um, did you ever see any of the sequels? Uh, I've seen RoboCop two, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I like RoboCop 2. RoboCop 2 is a grab bag of weirdo ideas, the kind of leftover from RoboCop, and some of the shit is really, really tight. It has a really cool villain, um, and some of the sequences with the killer evil robot absolutely rule. Uh, yeah. It is ungainly and way too long. Uh, it it is- has one of my favorite, uh, it's probably my favorite joke in all in all the movies. I guess I've only seen two. I would talk about how I have I've never seen three, but um, there's a there's a one of the jokes in RoboCop is that they they crash him and make him useless by giving him too much programming. Oh yeah, 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 and they make him into like a officer yeah. friendly kind of figure. Yeah, but they but you see all the things that kind of uh, flash on his screen that are all the new directives he has to follow, and one of them, which I still it's, it's a. Just a turn of phrase that I still use in my life quite a lot is that it was just don't make premature value judgments, <laughs> um, which I mean, there was like 200 of them as part of the joke. And they're, you know, flashing up like a weekend update list. You can't catch them all. But that one was like so goddamn funny to me because I didn't see RoboCop 2 until I was in college. And I definitely clearly had a sense that it was the idea that like if if you programmed a cop with that, a cop would cease to function. Yeah, yeah. The, the their idea. entire, their entire, the the concept of policing is predicated on them making premature value judgments as to what someone's doing, and so that has struck me as one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Yeah, that movie is full of crazy kind of half cocked ideas, and some of the ideas just like land. Um, I would love to cover it on the show as sort of like the or- yeah, I would too. Orphan, orphan sequels yeah. that are actually pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> um, we can record a listenable version of Predator Two with Raquel. Um, but oh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, orphan sequels that are actually pretty good would make for a good month. I really like RoboCop two. RoboCop three uh, sucks. I saw it at the perfect age, and I thought it was boring and stupid. Uh, it softens everything that uh, makes yeah, RoboCop funny and amazing. Doesn't make any sense. And um, RoboCop has a jetpack. None of the action sequences are like tenable. Like you can't like understand what's going on in them. Um, I do, however, have a soft spot for the Starship Troopers sequels. Two is, uh, just like, they just made a dumb, like, the Did you finally, I didn't know you watched two. Did you watch it Spooktober? Um, I've, I've, I've seen, 
I've se- I saw it when I was like whenever it came out. So I was like thirteen. Oh, okay. Um, so I had seen the thing recently, and I was like, oh, this movie is just straight up a thing kind of riff. So um, yeah. And then three. Um, I've never I've seen, seen all of, but three is trying to ape Verhoeven, and it's not a very successful ape, but it's. Um, I think it's kind of fun to be like, we're gonna do that satire kind of thing again and bring Rico back. I feel like it's kind of a fun idea. Yeah. Uh, I, I've always been to C3. I, I do have a spot, soft spot for two as well, although it's very funny that it's like – it's. I think that two is directed by uh, Phil Tippett. And it is just a special effects kind of fucker. It is. And it has it has like a scene of like some random Starship Troopers running away from the the ant, the the main like uh, uh, army aliens. I forget what they're called. The yeah, I ca- they're called uh, – they're, they're, they're called ant lions in Half-Life 2 and so that's what I that's, call them. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, and then they hide in a bunker, and then it's just the thing for the rest of the movie, <laughs> which is such a funny, just a classic, like, straight to video. You're like, oh, my God, this sequence of them running away from the bugs is pretty impressive. Oh, they're just in a bunker. And, like, yeah. And they humans. And uh, I was going to say is they use techniques that uh, are going to be big in Hollywood soon, which is uh, but in a probably a better scale, which is they use uh, fl- uh, flashlights as uh, weapon strobes. So, um, because we're trying to, Hollywood is trying to figure out ways to get live ammunition offsets. Uh, the rock has basically said, I don't want ammunition, live ammunition on sets. And if we can get away with, get away from blanks, like that's, that, that's ideal for all of Hollywood. Um, anything with, with a true explosion they're trying to get away from. And that movie, uh, for budget and for safety reasons, um, uses, uh, essentially like an electronic kind of light that makes it it doesn't look great but an electronic kind of light to imitate muzzle flash anyways so my point is um these 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 are series that kind of got away from them um and did you see the remake uh robocop yeah about half of it okay yeah as much as i've seen of robocop 3 which is uh watching part of it on uh like hbo in the middle of the day and being like this this sucks so bad that's the that's the year of like hey you know these hard r that the hard R is like for a very specific purpose. Paul Verhoeven movies. What if we remake them as PG thirteen blockbusters? The Total Recall one. We we could spend a whole like if if you have any of uh, Paul Verhoeven's movies with special features, like watch him because he's so he's so in, it's so interesting to hear him talk about the you know his his philosophy around like making movies and he seems like a generally good natured happy happy fellow which is also which is also very nice but like you know i i remember seeing a bunch of stuff on the robocop about like him just being like the whole point is that it's supposed to go on past the point of like good taste and that everyone needs to be constantly nonplussed by it because if it's just cool violence and a couple squibs or something like that it runs the risk of like not having the you know he he kind of he talks about wanting the audience to feel the impact of the scene to the point that it becomes um more comedy than horror or violence and then he wants that to be represented by the characters as being completely like like beyond just annoyed that someone died or something like that that they're nonplussed by it because that has a dehumanizing effect and the whole point of this movie and a lot of Paul Verhoeven's movies is that like in a fascist society or like, well, you know, this is kind of corporate fascism and stuff like that. It, the whole point is that it devalues human life 
right? And so you have this movie where, like, even the bad guys – and there's there's variances of, like, how bad someone is. But they're all, like, variances of bad guys because they're people in power. They can watch one of their own get murdered in, like, this horribly grotesque way. And instead, they just kind of uh, – they kind of laugh it off. Like, it doesn't mean anything. Or, oh, what a mess to clean up or stuff like that. The and old man idea- is mad because – the old man is mad. And he says, I'm very disappointed in you. And he's mad because this is going to delay the launch of ED-209. He's not mad that ED-209 is acting erratically. And notably, Dick Jones has a monologue where he says, uh, who gives a shit if it works? Like, people are going to buy yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. And it's that idea of, like – if people like if if the characters in this movie don't care about life, they don't care about the even people that are like them dying, that no one will care about their death either. And that like has a dehumanizing characters that characters are constantly uh, caught off guard in dying and how little little their death means to anyone's or affects anyone. Um, and they, you know, but but they they themselves are participating in that same dehumanization. And we see that whether you're the corporate people or cops, right? Like the cops are getting killed and everyone's like, well, you still go to work. And, you know, when there's like, you know, every day they're taking off uh, uh, points to the locker. But we'll, we'll definitely get into this more as we get into the movie. But I think one of the most interesting things about RoboCop, Peter, to your point is like, yeah, the ending is not – a happy ending <laughs> like it's in no way dude does good triumph over evil um i think you could say uh murphy has a nice personal arc but like Mur- nothing Mur- could... he has a a self-realization but the system that created him is still going to to go on it's and, fine yeah <laughs> and in fact the system has, has has corrected itself by removing a couple bad actors and uh now murphy is is he's not free he's still going to be robocop yeah they're still taking they're still um you know gentrifying and profiting and introducing crime and destroying um civilization and privatizing everything and the guy that did all that the boss is 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 uh, very much still in charge at the end, and his one competitor is now dead. I mean, that's part of the reason the sequel exists, because the sequel is sort of the hangover of this movie, which is just like, well, you got to take the old man down. Like, just because the old man didn't like Dick Jones doesn't make him a, a good guy. The yeah. old man is this, like, this senile old figure that only ha- has become so jaded by this this Wall Street era um uh, pursuit of money and points on the dollar being more valuable than pints of blood um then uh just leaving a character like that to succeed at the end does leave you with a little bit of an icky feeling and verhoven basically said he's like i don't do sequels on principle yes but also they jerked around the the writers that brought me to this material yeah uh ed newmeyer and steve minor um who were two writers uh they worked in hollywood in a different capacity um and then they they brought kind of two ideas about like one was about like a robot soldier and one was about like it was basically two script ideas that like didn't really make sense together and then they they came together to write it and uh orion had just had the terminator be a huge hit and gladly picked up another script about a killer robot and verhoeven was like thought this was a very famous story. Verhoeven yeah. thought that both the title sucked, 
and he started reading the first few pages and thought the first few pages sucked and tossed the the script on the ground or tossed in the trash. You know, it's a fairly typical sort of story. Uh, and his wife uh, picked up the picked up the script and she said, like, this is while you haven't done the big, broad American action movie before, this is touching on a lot of your themes yeah. about how about how uh, war is bullshit and, and, and um, how uh, big industry and capitalism ruin things and how fascism is is one of the one of the greatest evils to ever uh, yeah. grace mankind like and doing it with a touch that's satirical as opposed to um angry yeah and it's a movie that like in a modern parlance i don't know how anybody could watch the <clears throat> speaking of desensitization desensitization to violence um how could you watch this movie and all the subsequent act breaks where there's 24-hour news cycles um, where people are like, 45 dead today. Um, and anyways, puppies. Like, that sort of... That sort of yeah. Uh, well, that's the thing is that that has become so normal. I think you could watch this and not know it's... it's At the time, it's speculative. Like, anyone who saw that... 19, anyone who saw that 1987 knew it was a joke. Right, I actually think that you could see that today. And besides the like the Newcomb game commercial, and like may- maybe even I'll buy that for a dollar, just being a stupid show in this universe. I do think you could watch this today and go and not understand that the the news show itself was supposed to be like, uh, if we keep going like this, this is what news is going to look like. Yeah, and and so that that um. That we talked in the Funny Games episode a bit about how the media desensitizes uh, a lot of people to violence and makes them accept it as sort of a, a daily a daily um, occurrence that's to be accepted, particularly gun violence. And then also in the same sense, uh, news media can accidentally smuggle uh, or consciously smuggle um, fascist ideas to uh, an unsuspecting public. Though if you're watching Fox News, I imagine you're very suspecting and you like it. Um, but the brash, unregulated capitalism of TV and the brash, unregulated capitalism of these commercials, some of them, yeah, for these, like, a game that's just about, like, mutual assured destruction being uh, awesome. Um, and a healthcare commercial for a fake heart, um, with a guy holding up a plastic heart saying, we care. Like, that, by the way, Verhoeven wrote that line. Um, yeah. That is is something that also like you know may blend in a little bit with you, and you just be like, oh, it's sci fi world building. They have plastic hearts now instead of being yeah. like, wait, why are they advertising heart transplant, heart heart transplants done by a private corporation, uh, in the middle of this news block? Like, <laughs> why are yeah. they do- like? Isn't this kind of fucked up? And also, it's it's to note like in America, we allow advertisements for medicine, and medical treatments in magazines and on TV and such. In Europe, that's not a thing. Like, yeah, you do, you do not see commercials. The idea that yeah, in, like in, 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 there's in a Europe. marketing push behind like prescription medications that cure major diseases. It's it's yeah. it's it's um it's act not to say that you but know, that there didn't use, that's another thing they didn't used to be allowed to. Welcome to Reagan's America and deregulation. Yeah, um, so we're gonna talk a lot about how um this movie is is hitting at uh what the big conservative issues were of the time and uh sort of highlighting. From these two guys, they're basically sci-fi nerds that were trying to, Ed Neumeyer and Steve Miner were, were sci-fi nerds that spotted uh, these trends. Well, uh, uh, Niemeyer was from Detroit, and he saw the way that, like, 
they were destroying unions and the auto industry on the idea of like profit motive yeah i mean like saw the devastation that was happening i think it's probably better to talk about the reagan shit up front and then we can kind of like touch on it as we go through but um yeah 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 that's um one of reagan's um uh, worst legacies is that he made it easier for oh actually hold on i want to pause there though because in case we don't go back to it because we talked about the news things there was something that i never caught on the news uh i've seen this movie 50 times right Mm -hmm. like I've seen a lot, and for some reason, I never clued into like the one major obvious tell to that, like what what the TV show is doing. I think even watching it in this day and age, where this doesn't look that different from the new shows that we're watching. But hold on, I'm finding it. I I have one as well too, which is that the there's a uh, that apartheid is still going on in the future, and um, Reagan's administration was actually very pro apartheid, and like yeah. they they had Pat Buchanan speaking into their ear, <laughs> um, giving pro apartheid messaging about how segregation was awesome, and that like you know, yada yada. Well, so they talk about the Star Wars peace platform. Oh yeah, right. Which is, I mean, again, that was another real Reagan thing, right? He wanted to put missiles in the sky. Uh, in space to protect everyone, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was called Star. He named it Star Wars. So in this, they actually have that launch, and they talk about it in the first news show. In the second one, it notes that uh, the Star Wars uh, peace system misfired, and as a result, um, they said, uh, unfortunately, 120 dead today with the Star Wars peace program misfiring, uh, including. A uh, in an accidental misfire, including two former presidents. And it's like, oh, wait a second. <laughs> Did Reagan assassinate two former presidents on the idea of, uh, like, what are the odds that two former presidents... Out, out that of that were, 120. Out of that 120 were killed by the by the 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 Star Wars thing that he put up in the air. He right? put a fucking so death like, laser in the sky. And it killed two former presidents. Like, it really... And the fact that two former U.S. presidents dying in space lasers merits a, like, button on a bigger story is, uh, I was like, oh, this is, I don't know how I never caught how, like, sinister that is. Yeah, yeah, it's something that can really breeze by your face, and that's the point, right? Like, that, the that like, horrifying stories go in front of you. We're desensitized to violence and tragedy, and 24-hour news does not help because 24-hour news is, is, is um... Very much focused on just chasing the next next juicy yeah. piece of meat, right? I mean, when a hundred thousand coronav- people died of coronavirus in the United States, with a giant New York Times front page listing all their names, and now we're approaching a million, and no one talks about it anymore. Yeah, like I mean, we can also talk about like the fact that Fox News. That I I, I remember I, I follow Medi Mediate and yeah all these other like political websites that are like it's been four days and they still haven't acknowledged that um trump has to appear in front of the subpoena committee or like they have still haven't recognized that like all these legal challenges that trump is is going through like you can just also just not talk about this stuff in yeah the you can just parlance. live in a different reality i mean and, how many jokes did you see about like it's 24 hour trump, news of course yeah whenever trump was having a bad night sean hannity was talking about hillary clinton's emails or something yes. like if you it's true that if you watch fox news you just live in a different reality at this point yeah um and that but yeah platform but also reminds me of the implication in um there's implications in starship troopers that that might be like a false flag like a a, a false flag operation that killed um all those white people in buenos aires oh yeah um the, to to instigate the war like a sort of like a yeah like a 
I think I, I think that's thing. pretty clear. Like, because someone at one point goes like, "Well, how are they doing the comet thing? Yeah, Where they shoot comets at people. They have no idea." Yeah, exactly. They're just they're just bugs. Um, yeah. But yeah, so Reagan uh, entered into office trying to cut social services, um, trying to make government cuts, and he was very successful at uh, certain items. So if it was um, tax cuts, uh, he was initially very successful in his first term at cutting uh, social services. Uh, notably, the, the the greatest legacy of Reagan's presidency is uh, creation of the modern. Uh, modern homeless population yeah um because he through a lot of things right like because deregulating all the banking like systems and like the controls around media specifically like in fair the fair uh fair use not fair use doc it was a fair use doctrine fair time doctrine or whatever mm-hmm. like all of those things especially uh just allowed banking and financial institutions to kind of do what they wanted yeah, and he closed, he notably closed a ton, of, particularly when he was governor in California, so even before he was president, closed a bunch of psychiatric hospitals, mm-hmm. um, which led to great boosts in the number of homeless people um, in California, and a problem that we still obviously have not solved. If you watch Fox News, you'll hear about it every hour. Um, and uh, at the same time, not uh, basically snipping all the the, the threads of the social safety net. Um trying to talk about welfare queens and, and specifically targeted language, racially targeted language yep. in the Southern strategy, essentially trying to uh, turn the public tide against the idea of helping out your fellow man or um, helping out people that are working class or, or, or poor or homeless and just calling them bums or calling them lazy. All of that was that sort of modern language was codified during the Reagan era and particularly from his administration as his brain was turning to applesauce. Um, his yeah. his fucking um, his fucking uh, troika of of uh, cabinet members um, actively found ways to try and fuck over the American population. And one of the ways that they did that was um, there was supposed to be a strike of air traffic controllers. It's one of the most famous uh, controversies of the Reagan presidency. Um, Supposed to be a strike of air traffic controllers. Reagan thought that because they were public sector employees, they didn't have the right to strike. That is not true. Um, He took, he took great time and care to make sure that these people not only were fired while they were on strike, but couldn't, uh, have government positions for the rest of their lives, something that Clinton reversed. But these people went on strike and he went after them to try and fire them, reduce training for air traffic controllers, which is very fucking dangerous, and try and find yeah. ways to have the private sector take over for what were public sec- sector jobs at the same time emboldening anti-union um as sentiments around the country and creating situations like, you know, in, in, um, in Detroit with manufacturing jobs where unions basically had their, their knees knocked out from underneath them time and time again. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, if we talked about all the ways that Reagan sucked, mm. we'd be here forever, but it's like, we only have four episodes and I do need to talk about the movie <laughs> at some point. You know, the specific stuff that this movie is, is this idea of like, uh, but the privatization of basically saying, you know, which we still see today, right? Like, even though like all of our prison systems, for example, aren't run by private, private corporations. Oh, some are. That's Two all. Two thirds of our the, detained, uh, detained immigrants are in private facilities. 
Yeah, the fact that like they have those jobs that they where they do capitalism shit for fifteen cents an hour, like telemarketing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's all Reagan. The, the our entire banking system and like uh, the idea of like um, you know. I'm sure you had a point, too, in your life, Peter, where you're like, oh, there wasn't such thing as a credit score until 1982. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that wasn't a thing. But it was the idea of how do we um, basically, like, privatize capital to the people that we want to give it to. Well, we say there's a score. And basically, if you're poor because of all the things we know about people without the means to X and Y, then you will have a low score and we don't have to give you capital to invest and so like you know we can make it it's it's a form of discrimination essentially for wealthy people that we've legalized and just made part of our you know our our financial system private equity like i work and um i mean if you work in any sort of white collar industry your probably life has been controlled by private private equity firms were illegal until the Reagan administration. Understandably so. Like when you realize their business model is just take money from rich people, buy a bunch of companies, 60% of them, they're going to push to the ranking point to grow into like infinite profits so they can sell them or reap the rewards. 40% will go out of business, but they have no actual, they have no actual like, um, like normally if you own a company goes out of business, you suffer, but they just transfer all the debt to the company that they bought and then they just move on with their lives while the company goes bankrupt like their business plan is predicated on a, you know a 40 percent of the companies they buy push to the breaking point and going bankrupt and then the scrap sold to other like you listen to that you go how could it be possible that you could have like you know no risk and no bankruptcy you don't lose money if your business does poorly and stuff like that it's like oh yeah because that is insane and that was illegal yeah the reagan administration we can talk about actually how reagan reagan both failed to privatize mass sectors of the government um at the same time maggie thatcher was succeeding at doing that to britain's great detriment um but Reagan's goal was always to push for privatization. He was a great admirer um, of his own admission of Maggie Thatcher's success there because he had a strong Democratic opposition in Congress that stopped him. So he originally wanted to privatize basically every federally owned rail system. Yeah. He wanted to privatize Amtrak. He wanted to privatize the post office, which is something, you know, we heard about in, in Trump's, the the the, first, the, the, the Trump um, uh, term sort of death blows a lot where we're like how the fuck do we get this this lewis DeJoy or whatever out of yeah out of, out of the post office because his entire his entire ethos is i need to figure out how to privatize this and even in one of his most unpopular moves because i, for, I forgot that during the reagan administration he would get bipartisan pushback on stuff he tried to defund and even privatize social security right yeah. after he got his spike um in in um in uh polling yeah uh his spike in polling after getting shot he was like oh 81 yeah yeah right right then he was like he was like you know what i I mean that's what george w bush did too right like the second he had political capital he tried to spend it to demolish social security yeah and uh put it on the private market put it on the ponies um yeah and so (laughs) um yeah and uh it was insane he wanted to um he also was waging massive geopolitical war um, and uh, spending a large, large amount of uh, U.S. capital to uh, fund genocides, uh, fund coups. Um, you know, we could have included a lot of movies uh, in this uh, month, you know. Uh, yeah, because even movies, I mean, Reagan, 
even though, like, yes, George W. Bush sucked somehow even worse than Reagan, like, if you look at his, like, beliefs and views holistically, and yes, Trump sucked worse than George W. Bush, but, like, the linchpin into all of their ability to cause as much destruction and the fact that, like, you know, even in the 90s, it was like, well, we're not going to fix everything that was broken. We're just going to let it ride and yeah. do a couple good things back. Like, it all stems from, you know, Ronald Reagan. Yeah. And, and yes, wanna, and, Nixon and, sucked too. Like, I mean, they all suck. Like, Nixon but. Nixon at least uh, uh, played at being um, an environmentalist for a bit and, like, expanded certain um, national parks programs. Like, yeah, it, it wasn't it's, this... more, it's It becomes less about, like... Okay, well, he did some good things and then all this terrible yes. stuff. And, like, as it goes on, it's like you have trouble finding the even mildly good things to point to while it's just – so yeah. It's I can't think like of a, a thing to credit Reagan. But, yeah, I also one of Reagan's big pushes was – okay, so cutting all these government social safety nets. But at the same time, he actually raised taxes like ten times over the course of his, his uh, two terms. Yeah. And um, that was because the public demanded it. And he didn't go back and spend that money on social safety programs or reinstating the programs that people wanted. What he actually did um, was, all right, well, you wanted to pay more taxes. I'm going to spend this abroad and I'm going to spend it on the war on drugs here at home. Yeah. Um, putting more and more of the, of particularly poor and black populations and people of color into prisons. So yeah. in the 80s. The idea that utilizing drugs was a moral failing that um that as opposed to as opposed to a um the result which this movie posits which we'll get into when we talk about this this movie in Paul Verhoeven's stance and uh, you know Niemeyer's stance is that essentially that like the destruction of the social safety net all these programs um the uh, the rising inequalities when it comes to income was the reason for the rise in crime and drugs and what what this movie and Reagan posited was that uh, crime and drugs were unrelated and another way to, for um, him to use his our, – our social, our social uh, systems to profit. Yeah. And so prisons don't make people better. They actually make them more likely to engage in recidivism and, 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 and uh, commit more crimes. And if yeah. you are a, a black person with no economic ability, that means you probably – Going back to prison again when you don't have the economic ability to you raise yourself up. You can't get up. money because you have there's a credit score now, and you, you don't need qualify. to eat. Um, yeah. And you know the government cheese has already been handed out. Uh, you you need to fucking eat. Um, you know you may commit a you may commit a crime again. And you know there's there's a bunch of other explanations for the '80s crime wave. Some of them are kind of interesting, but I don't totally buy. Which is like um, the unleaded gasoline versus leaded gasoline. Like that, it's also like there's a theory that boomers are all sociopaths because of leaded gasoline in the air because their parents. Are yeah, probably... I mean, I I can buy that uh, boomers are all sociopaths for for a variety of complicated <laughs> net of reasons. Yes, yes, but uh, the the grand point is that social safety nets were cut. People that were supposed to be in psychiatric hospital receiving care, um, and I'm not saying these hospitals were all operating perfectly and all ethically, but they were supposed to be receiving care on these hospitals. Instead, they were kicked out on the street, which, do you know what happens to people that are unstable? They may commit crimes or act strangely in public, and the cops may trump up some charges to get them into prison. Like, And you know yeah. you know what, what social safety net, quote-unquote, will catch you if you don't end up in the actual so social safety net? The prison industrial complex. The privatized yeah. prison industrial complex. So these uh, this movie, as OCP, Omni Consumer Products buys out the Detroit Police Department with the intention of 
with the intention of um, building, uh, you know, quote unquote, solving crime, but at the same time, building a new gentrified section over uh, old Detroit so that they can charge, uh, you know, uh, white collar workers money for fancy condos. Um, at the same time, they're co- they're working with uh, Clarence Boddicker, who we'll talk all about, the, one of the greatest villains in cinema history. Um, to raise crime rates. And I don't know if you know this, Aaron. Did you know that originally they weren't connected? Uh, no, I didn't know that. And then it was a studio note to make them connected, which is maybe Great one of the note. best studio notes of all time. Yeah. Thank his... you, Orion. That's how you know. Orion was good. That's why they went out of business, because they actually were a studio with good ideas. <laughs> the studios with the bad ideas buy up uh, the studios with the, with the good ideas. But it's a great, great note, because yeah. that... That actually is the relationship. Like, you know, I, I'm sure there is an, uh, an element of truth. Uh, I'm sure there's books that I have read around, like, you know, the CIA and a lot of other people introducing, like, a lot of, like, you know, introducing more drugs to our system. Because, again, the 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 crime wave itself was good business for Reagan Republicans. Or it was the leaders of that. So they got and also, the, you know, the one thing they use drugs in this movie, which was a huge part of like, they're the bad guys, these drug users and the criminal people like, please ignore the fact that they can't get credit. They can't buy homes. We've eliminated their jobs. We're destroying all their social safety net. Yada, yada, yada. It's these these, these people, you know, the you know, the one the, the, the dangerous um, other. The dangerous other, but like the other thing that made somehow like actual Reagan worse than the company in this is that like Reagan's like evil genius was that he paired all of that with this um, religious fundamentalism and like the the re rise of like religious and public life, which was like not part of even like the Nixonian era of Republicans, mm-hmm. right? The the mon- you know all that kind of stuff where like uh, they. You got you got people to ignore all of that stuff on the idea that like uh, gay people exist and uh, abortions are legal and all the other things and like yeah that is that's all that's all today is too like it's all the same stuff it's just somehow a million times worse yeah okay I get but this right. movie really just focuses on like the drugs as the motivation oh, yeah. to um, but like they're. And which is fine. Like, I'm not saying it should have done that, but like, that's why I'm saying the actual Reagan era was somehow worse because it was that plus uh, we're on the good. We're we're completely unable to be questioned because we're following the creator of the universe. Uh, So, Peter, I think we're already getting into enough and we're going to have a lot of time to bash Reagan and Margaret Thatcher and the Republican Party uh, of the 80s, 90s and today. Uh, <laughs> uh, we're gonna be like a classic rock radio station about uh, how much we fucking hate Ronald Reagan. But let's, Peter, we gotta talk about this guy who's part man. Hold on, I want. Do you have a piece of paper? So you can write this down. Uh, sure yeah, I, I got it. I, I don't know if you heard He's, my click, but that was me. Okay, part man. Perfect. Okay, okay. perfect. He's part man. Yeah, I got it. Part man. Robot. Part robot. All cop. Okay, so I mean that makes here's sense. A, here's a problem with that math problem. I hear part man, I'm like, oh, part robot, I'm like, oh, all cop. Okay, so hold on. So what I think it actually is, 
is it's a part man, part robot. Those are correlating ideas. Part man, part robot. You know? He's part man, he's part robot. All cop is a third separate idea because a, a cop could be a robot, as in an ED-209. A cop can be a man, as in every cop in this movie that's not ED-209 or RoboCop. So all, all, all cop would be... And also, like, you can be... All cop, I think, refers to Nancy Allen. <laughs> she is all that is cop. Yeah. yeah um, unrelated. Like, hey, you're going to see... Part of this movie, you're going to see men. Part of this movie, you're going to see robots. Part of this movie, Nancy Allen. There's no space for it anywhere else, really. But I do have to talk about the fact that at one point, <clears throat> Verhoeven said he was going to... He wanted... Uh, oh, the love story. There's he, a, there's the... Yeah. He wanted them to fuck because he was like, I came from Europe and I wanted him to cheat on his wife with Nancy Allen. Um, and then I... Left, man. And then Newmeyer came back with like a third draft. A draft, he like, yeah. He was like, yeah, I could, you know, I could. And here you go. And then apparently Verhoeven and him realized at that point, this is a terrible, terrible idea. And so what Verhoeven did at that point is he... Uh, when he hired Nancy Allen and... Uh, which, you know, from the script, you could al- almost assume that Lewis was written as a man, but cast as a woman, sort of like Ripley. Yeah. Um, Nancy Allen, uh, he was like, I wanted to cut off her beautiful long hair and cut out any scenes where they have, uh, you know, any sort of like uh, physical intimacy, really. <laughs> Verhoeven like w- swinged wildly the other direction to make them like professionals that respect each other. Yeah, and then he made up for all his pent-up horniness by making Basic Instinct and Showgirls after this. Yeah, he was, and, and Benedetta, um, Starship. <laughs> I, mean, like, I mean, he did make Total uh, Recall. He got a little bit of his horniness out in Total Recall. He's like, I'm so pent-up, I'm used to European movies. <laughs> <laughs> sex killer! We're making the sex killer movie! Uh, uh, but yeah, do you want to talk more about, oh man... Wait, not old man. Part man. Uh, part cop. And Nancy Allen with a little film called Robocop. Sorry, I was considering. Yeah, I do. Great. You have 10 seconds to comply. <laughs> 30 seconds to comply. <laughs> like and subscribe (laughs) uh peter let's say that you are gonna give us the plot recap what happens in a little movie called robocop robocop detroit the future robots cops can they get along (laughs) i don't think so uh, um, I, th- I think the answer is yes. I've never seen this movie before. Um, Great, it's so, good. You should you should watch it. Yeah, RoboCop. So it's the story of a uh, young sort of golden boy on the force named Murphy. Um, he's got a wry sense of humor. He's got a wife and a kid at home that are barely characters in the movie. Um, well, and, yeah, that's the point. And he, he's as, a cop, man. He's part. He's all cop. 
as a Detroit metro area cop, um, he's all cop and only a little bit dead. Yeah. Just enough no to dead. learn cool gun tricks tricks from watching yeah. TJ Laser. Yeah. More people need to reference TJ Laser. That's it sounds like a Do you great think show. it's a do you think that's too close to the what they were parroting? Like change the initials. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. No, I think it's it's great. No Spot one would ever on. connect them. Good. Um, but yeah, so fresh, young, young face, and because he were, is a cop for the Detroit Oh, and worth noting, this is officially the future that conservatives want. Uh, and it's Literally. the future conservatives are going to get. Yeah. Um, but this, they, some, some conservatives want it. And he uh, works for a uh, massive conglomeration called OCP that bought the rights to the Detroit Police Department, which means that all Detroit police are privatized, uh, private contractors, basically. And they are um, getting massacred out there because there's a big crime wave. Largely, it seems, connected to Clarence Boddicker, who's killed like 31 cops. Um, He's about to make it 32. I don't know if you've seen this movie, but, you know, Robocop's one of them. So uh, Murphy and his partner... Lewis, um, they are paired up and they're sent out to chase after Clarence Boddicker, who has just uh, done a bank robbery or robbed some sort of vault with a lot of money and it's gotten fucked up. Um, they go find them at an old uh, steamworks or whatever. And uh, about 20 minutes in the movie, Murphy gets murdered brutally uh, by Clarence Boddicker and his crew, um, who are all... Working, you don't know at this point, but they're all working for Dick Jones, which is a uh, corporate head at uh, OCP, um, who's trying to sell, build a good case for, um, and sell uh, a uh, product called ED209, which is a big mecha robot, that uh, bipedal robot, that um, is basically, uh, will tell you to put your gun down, and then um, because it's not well programmed, it'll shoot you anyways. He's trying to but get... just the idea that again, if if you don't that there's like the justice system is a farce, and that um, you will just be be shot if you don't like. There's not a judge, there's not a jury. It's just a matter of you know you you uh, you either do what the cops say or they have the right to shoot you. Um, thankfully, unre- an unrecognizable idea to a modern audience. Uh yeah, this is wild sci-fi. Um, mm-hmm. uh, really out there stuff. Um, so yeah, ED209 is one program that's being developed at OC- OCP. And then the other one is being uh, developed uh, by our man, Monty, a.k.a. Miguel Ferrer, who is, the, or Morty. The best. Me. Who's the best? So, so fucking good in this movie. He, he's, he's someone who, like, exudes the positive side of cocaine only. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. Um, there's a uh, two. There's two future Twin Peaks uh, actors in here. Oh yeah, Ferrer and Ray Wise, who are both just. Um, they very much just like kind of a wide-eyed uh, coke coke frenzy look on their face at all times. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So- yeah. Miguel Ferrer is kind of the goofiest, and I would say Ray Wise is the is the wait that can't be right. <laughs> <laughs> two goofuses of. Of the future Twin Peaks cast, um, yeah, yeah, I would say Miguel Ferrer I mean, is, is 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 sort of a gallant in uh, Twin Peaks. Oh yeah, comparatively, 
It's hard to remember. also also not comparatively. Yeah, but also but definitely when you compare them. Said. Yeah. Um, Either way, what if words true. mean anything? Also, I'm just clarifying that every possible definition of that uh, applies here. Yeah, I would say Ray Wise's character in Twin Peaks is both the goofus and the gallant until you find out that um, he's, he's a doofus. He's a doofus. He's a new one. He's a he's the 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 goofus and gallant sibling that <laughs> locked in an attic to get away from everyone. <laughs> part goofus, part gallant, all all goofus, all basket case. Oh, wow. Um, so Ronnie Cox is running, is Dick Jones, uh, is running uh, the ED-209 program. Miguel Ferrer is running the Robocop program. So the Robocop program is to make cyborgs out of dead cops. Um, because as part of, because now the cops work for a private corporation, they've signed contracts that when they die, the uh, the corporation owns the rights to their remains and yeah. bodies. I'm really glad that Paul Verhoeven was being like, oh yeah, private corporations suck and not like... Never sign yourself up from organ donor programs. Yeah. <laughs> well, again, it's conscripted. It's just part of their like uh, their their contract to work for the yes, the and 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 it's essentially we find out essentially that um, he Murphy was always kind of supposed to die. He was transferred to the highest crime rate sector and assigned dangerous cases because they wanted someone to get absolutely mangled and then get um, you know opted into the Robocop program. Yeah, because someone like looked at his file and they're like, hey, this guy's a great candidate. We noticed that he's part man. And right now the other part is also a man. What if we – now hear me out. I'm hearing. Left the part that's a man. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking to you. This is what happened in the the movie <laughs> before the transfer. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's a deleted scene, but I'm acting it out. Mm-hmm. Um, what if this guy who's part man and then another part man, we remove – the bottom part, turn him into a robot. And they're like, we we haven't seen a file that matches the description of what we want for an all-cop RoboCop as, as, that matches as well as this guy. Let's transfer him tomorrow. And you know what they did? We transferred him. That's how yeah. he ends up there. Then we, see, then we have this elaborately wonderful sequence of him being turned about half an hour into the movie, being turned into a RoboCop, uh, largely in first person. Um, but it's this traumatic event where essentially they're taking. Oh yeah, it's, the, that's such a good sequence where the time passes and they're turning him into a robot. Like an indig- enough time for his wife and kid to like sell the house and move away uh, a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. So he he essentially um, comes online, and the movie becomes a story of self realization. And uh, there's a really great note that uh, happens in the. Um, what on the the dvd there's an interview and peter weller was like you know in a typical american movie um you know robocop would you know is kind of locked in he's kind of on the mission he's his brain is mostly being used as uh you know a face to this bloody uh police state uh friendly face or a semi-friendly face to this this public police state um however uh he realizes on his own without even seeing any of his old life that something is wrong and he's having these memories and uh apparently Verhoeven and him had a, a very like philosophical conversation because Peter Weller is um Peter Peter Weller is a very smart guy like he teaches like Italian art history and like is like a professor like not only does he appear in like B movies for the rest of his career he also like 
um, found a, a, a side sort of uh, expression uh, and being like an art professor, which was really cool. Um, so Verhoeven, who uh, also like spent all of his life wanting to make a film and, and you know, wrote extensively about Jesus Christ as a figure and is like a Jesus scholar, um, could have these philosophical discussions while they're making this disgusting squib movie where a man gets turned into a cyborg. And Verhoeven yeah. has a alliance. Do you think this might be a Jesus metaphor by it's, chance? It's it's certainly a Jesus metaphor. We'll get back to all the metaphors in like three seconds. But I want to I want to throw this I want to throw this line out that Verhoeven said uh, to Weller that like really informed the character. It's not that he saw old people from his old life and that's triggering stuff in him because that does happen a little bit later. But it's that he starts waking. He says the soul wakes up on its own. It's the soul waking up on its own, which I thought was just so wonderful because the movie is about self-expression. The last line in the movie is Murphy. It's him rejecting the idea that he's, he's, you know, I'm just, you know, Robocop with the visor on. Like it's him embracing that both he, he has his robotic part of him and he also has the person that he was. And so I'm sure this joke has been made before, but after he says Murphy, Robocop comes up on the screen. I wish it would just say Murphy. I, 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 I that's what, all right. So that, that, that moment always lands for me really well. It's just seeing Robocop right at the end with like a, yeah, cause metal. it's a good movie and it fucking hits with a good score. But it like, makes yeah. me mad when I watched it this time. I was like, no, th- he just said his name's Murphy. <laughs> I mean, I guess, you know, I doubt this is what it meant, but you could almost take it as a meta commentary of like. He's had that realization, but the studio that owns him is planning. There's not going to be a Murphy part two. Going to be a RoboCop part. Yeah, two. yeah. He's not going to be like working at a record store after this, right? Um. So you mentioned that would be a great version of this, where like, um, the, the, the it becomes a metatextual satire, where like the sequel to RoboCop two is owning the rights to RoboCop. <laughs> they, they own the rights, and they can make him not be Murphy anymore and be RoboCop. Yeah, they just reinstate. They make him. new nightmare. They <laughs> with they, RoboCop. They kind of do in RoboCop too, like reset his brain a little bit to make yeah, him. They do. Yeah, um, they got they they need him to wear the visor. He's not walking around looking like Peter Weller mainly because yeah, no. I don't think he's played by. No, he's still played by Peter Weller. Played, played by Peter Well Peter Weller in two in three. Peter Weller and no one else is basically involved. He's not played in. Is it is it is is it Peter Weller in three? No, I'm saying Peter Weller and basically no one else oh. involved at that point. Like it's basically just oh. Newmeyer and such cashing a check. Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting. I didn't know that uh, Weller and Verhoeven did start to like each other, but Weller uh, quit, almost was replaced by Lance Hendrickson, and he fucking hated Verhoeven for a long time. Um, yes, mainly because uh, he was miserable wearing the suit. From what yeah. I could gather. So let's let's jump back a little bit to something you were saying. So the Jesus metaphor. So he's horribly maimed. He gets he gets he dies and he rises. And Weller was saying a lot of interesting things when he was watching. He's like, that's a pretty common sort of um, archetype in in a lot of Western myths and Eastern myths. Yeah. Like it's all over the world. Like there's a reason that the Zoroaster myth and the Jesus myth are both like incredibly close. Um, yeah. And uh, he's like, you can you can find corollaries in a lot of things, but I found corollaries in other texts, um, and particularly like Frankenstein about like someone being built from parts and then rejecting oh, yeah. their creation, which I thought was interesting. I think the most interesting corollary, I don't think any of these guys would have come up with because the um, it was you know too too much of a um, close uh, time thing, is uh, Alan Moore's Swamp Thing. Oh, yeah. Because uh, Alan Moore's Swamp Thing is about someone who, uh, a person 
who <clears throat> ends yeah, up through sort of super science, um, transforming into a larger than life creature. Many people want to control him and, and make him do what they want. Many people want to co-opt him and, 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 and corrupt him. Um, but he needs to go on a journey of self-realization. And there's another thing in this movie that I've never seen before, but I now to me is sort of headcanon. And that's an Alan Moore Swamp Thing. The Swamp Thing is not the actual soul of the man in the Swamp Thing form. It is a plant. This would have been big spoilers for me a a couple weeks ago, but I am in the process of reading Alan Moore's Swamp Thing, and I'm about 20 issues in. It's it's one of the best revelations I've ever read in a comic book. It is so good. Like, just thinking about it is giving me chills. Yeah, and it's it's actually a plant realizing that it, it has inhabited the memories of this man. Yeah, the, the the man died in the plants, and the, the plant thinks it's a man. Yeah, but if the plant thinks it's that man and, and is, is fulfilling some of the roles in the personal lives of that man, yeah, is the he's still plant dating not the same, man? Yeah, he's still dating the same girl. Yeah, and, and you know, it, it's, it's a fantastic philosophical sort of yeah. argument. I need to finish that series, but... Um, it's really good. Yeah, I, read, I mean, I, I read the first. It, it has the problem of all '80s comics, which is like, how many words can we get? Let's never let the visuals breathe <laughs> ever. <laughs> yeah, and it's gorgeous art. Um, so it's kind yeah, of- the art is great. Yeah, but it's like, uh, it's a little bit too talky. But I'm uh, I'm digging it quite a bit. And yeah, when I read that, I think the issue is like anatomy lesson. Because it's basically Alan Moore's way of wrapping up the previous arc where he wasn't. I mean ostensibly a man who's turned into a plant man mm-hmm. and then he dies and while they're running tests on him they're like uh, he's not dead because this isn't a man this is a plant um and also other people have been exposed to the serum and they didn't turn into plants because but plants are affected by the serum so i think what happened is uh he died <laughs> we, we spilled the serum on the plant and the plant thought it was the guy that was dead next to him yeah, yeah it's so goddamn good it's, it's, it's so, so incredible good. and it's it's also just like such a great philosophical exploration of self like um and uh done in a context that you don't necessarily expect it um yeah i mean obviously you know if you know alan moore is really smart and and really uh th- thoughtful about how his texts work like i'm reading yeah. um i am reading his providence right now and it's, it's so oh good. yeah um you know that he does those sort of those sort of tricks, but those tricks always land somewhere very beautiful and very thoughtful and sort of like it, it, it sort of tears the comic book open uh, in your brain. Uh, I think that like uh, I now view Robocop that way that. Yeah, it's, Murphy a, it's has, a good call. Murphy as a person died, but now there's cybernetic components that can read Murphy's memories and can resonate with the personal people around him. Because in the sequel, he even reconnects with his son and, and wife very briefly, and it's a disaster. Um, and that he's saying, well, I think I like who this Murphy guy is. I will become Murphy. And there's sort of a a question of, (laughs) is it a robot taking on the aspects of Murphy or did the robotic technology bring the soul of Murphy back to life. And what's funny is that Vero and Weller kind of, they don't have this exact conversation, but they have a sort of philosophical dis- disagreement, which is that like, uh, Verhoeven's like, oh, I, I I don't believe in the concept of a soul. <laughs> so so yeah. Verhoeven would probably agree with me on the latter if we had this discussion, um, and Weller would probably agree on the former. But I, I don't know. That's just like, phil- philosophically, that's the sci-fi sort of horror at the center. Yeah, that, I mean, that's an amazing call. 
Fallout, and one I never considered before either. And it makes a lot of sense, because, yeah, it's not the same as memories. He doesn't remember everything, but he's, like, identifying with these, like, aspects of, like, leftovers that were there. Mm-hmm. And so he doesn't have perfect, or as some would say, total recall. Um, but he does have a sense of who this person was. But, yeah, it's not the person. Like, that person is the reason they use his body and, like, what's left of his memories is because that guy's dead. He gets shot 80 to 90 times. Like, I mean, I know some people, like... And shot this in the head. Mo- <laughs> he gets shot right through the head, which I think is important to note. Uh, I mean, I understand that you can be shot a few times, like, say, uh, 50 Cent or something like that, uh, and still live. I think 80 to 90 times and in the head and have your arms and legs blown off is not survivable. And they they say that, too. Like, the reason why that program of, like, using a former, a dead cop is not to take, like, the soul or who he is. It's to take his whatever, like, is encoded into a memory chip in his head and have that help inform the programming. So it's it's kind of like, Peter, your your observation is like genius because it's sort of called out that way in the movie. Like we're gonna we're gonna tap into his memories to inform the programming, but it's not the same as like an alive person. Yeah. Who who is reborn as a robot. And and and, and notice the sort of um it's 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 covered very briefly at the beginning and then at the end it becomes super plot crucial um that his directive for is he cannot arrest OCP officers. Yeah, it's literally literal I mean it's 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 so goddamn good because it is literalizing the concept that some people are above the law. The people that work for this corp, the high level executives of this corporation, like corporation executives, are essentially above the law. Like, first, there's so many laws that if you ha- if they're you know the penalty is a fine, you're above it. That's why corporations can do evil things. Our fines only go up to forty million dollars or whatever it is in a lot of cases, and they're like, well, yeah, we made that last second, so I think we'll be fine paying that fine. So like, you know, they are you know corporations as a whole. Um, and because all, they have all the privileges of being people, but like a corporation can't go to jail. <laughs> They're essentially above the law. And then the executives are above the law. And here, when RoboCop tries to enforce the law that ostensibly this corporation is is putting these robots on so they can like enforce judiciously and without fault, you know, it shuts – it literally shuts him down so that he – you know, the <laughs> he is standing above the law as it collapses on the floor. Yeah. Yeah. It's – um. It's a pretty, it's a pretty incredibly thoughtful movie in terms of the philosophy that you can bring into yeah. it, despite the fact that it's a movie that's mostly about a robot man shooting drug dealers, um, because that's what the middle chunk of the movie is. Is uh, you know to get back to the the recaps, we can kind of uh, speed through this and get back yeah. to the themes. <clears throat> uh, we see Murphy go out on his first missions, uh, which are classic. They're like he stops a convenience store stick up. He. Stops a rape by shooting the guy's dick off, um, <clears throat> which I'm, we don't have time to talk about it, but like that RoboCop, uh, the the, the um, RoboCop remastered or whatever, where people just reshot. A bunch of people um, were uh, signed up to each shoot a scene of RoboCop line for line, but you can do whatever you want with it. Um, and they reconstructed it into a cop, a version of RoboCop you can watch. That's just a bunch of different people all reshooting their scenes in different styles and different methods. 
Uh, the version of that has like 30 guys getting their their dicks blown off and there's just like dildos flying everywhere. It's so fucking funny. That's pretty good. Um, and then I, well, that montage is great. I do want to call out in case you didn't get back to it. One of the other very crucial parts for the themes that we'll get back to is that he makes no attempt to actually arrest anyone at any point. Like, again, he's programmed to uphold the law, which for him is to just, uh, you know, essentially the same thing that ED-209 was going to do. Like, I'll just shoot it until the law and stop it until the law stops getting broken. Like, that's not a justice system. That is literally just like, you know, sh- like, again, I am very pro shooting off rapist dick off. I, I mean, I want to be very on the record. That's fine. But, like, you know, the fact that he just goes and, like, I'm going to punch this person. And then he leaves, like, the, the convenience store robber, he just leaves him there. He's like, I've, I've hurt him, and now I will leave to go enforce more laws. I like, have stopped law-breaking behavior. I, I stopped law-breaking behavior, and thus my day here is done. And, like, that, it, I, that is a crucial part to the commentary here, that, like, he is not actually arresting anyone or bringing them to justice. And the only person he actually attempts is once again a powerful person yeah yeah um and he yeah oh and he stops a hostage situation um which is like a councilman is mad at at yeah. the if, he's lost his election um so he's, he's gonna <laughs> yeah. shoot the mayor it's a great it's a great line though and he's like i want a recount and regardless of the results of that recount i want my old job back which again, <laughs> I mean, Jesus Christ, like, that feels like that might as well have been a Trump speech two oh, years yeah. ago. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, the he goes through three classic sort of like, you know, situations that you would you would imagine, you know, you, you might need a cop for. Um, and just, yeah, I wouldn't say it's disastrous because like the good guys win, but it is like, it is like, he's a hammer. And when you show up uh, yeah. with only a hammer, you're gonna be hammering everything like if you need a screwdriver too bad i only brought a hammer <laughs> do you, do you but again it's the chisel? kind of fashion i only have a hammer i'm sorry which is yeah which is why it's so great like the next scene is the news that is like repeating these propaganda points like recontextualizing fascist behavior as like right they're, they're showing him with kids celebrating um they're doing all these things to kind of and again this is used so well in Mm -hmm. starship troopers too where like the kids are stomping the bugs and things like that of like um okay so here's this now weird new science creation that no one understands that's been unleashed that is like shooting people and setting people on fire with seemingly no like regards to a process or anything else and the news media immediately is like this guy's good people like him it's going great. Here's him with a bunch of kids. Like, they are helping to sell a narrative that um, it's, there's, not a, there's not a moment where there's any sort of questioning around ethics or legality or safety. It's just, here's him with kids. It's fine. Everything we saw was cool last night. Let's move on. And, like, that's so critical, too, because... It's, you know, so much of when we see, like, I mean, we've talked about that with, like, war footage and stuff like that. It's always contextualized as, like, good guys versus bad guys. This guy's a good guy. We we have no time as a society to process our thoughts, and we don't have a news media that tries to a- ask or question honest concerns because as the police is doing it. You know, if, if, if the good guys of our society, like the U.S. military and the police – and job creators and everyone else is doing it, it is 
almost unquestionably good. And at best, you'll get a someone else disagrees with it, but we're going to show all the cool shit that just happened and contextualize in a way that's uh, digestible to everyone watching. Yeah, yeah, it's so it's so lovely. So let's get to um, let's get to uh, more of the plot here. So there's yeah. a pissing contest between Ed Two and I and RoboCop, which means that um, unfortunately our friend Miguel Ferrer has to die because he has pissed off Ronnie Cox, uh, a.k.a. Dick Jones. And uh, Dick Jones uh, kills him with Clarence Boddicker, which we haven't talked about at all. Clarence Boddicker, played by Kurtwood Smith, read from that's of all time. One of the greatest villains of all time. Every line is fantastic. Apparently, about you know half of them were just ad libbed by him because the script had a bunch of um, the script had a bunch of just generic villain stuff. And they realized that if they let Kurtwood Smith, who was kind of like a theater and comedy guy, just like fuck around a little bit, it worked great. And apparently, um, uh, so they cast him for this because he looks like Himmler. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. He he looks like some member of the SS staff. No, right? it was Himmler, Heydrich Himmler. Yeah, because they have. Um, I thought it was Eichmann because he has the stupid little glasses. Uh, no, it's it said Himmler. I can double check. While yeah, talking. but um, he, they, they it's important to get your Nazi guys right. But he, they, it's not that Verhoeven was like, oh, this no, guy's a, no- a, a Nazi. It's that Verhoeven was like, oh no, no. But it, it, it but it, it, the reason Verhoeven did that is because he he was thinking of like, well, like my concept of what evil is is not a big burly like yeah. black guy like most of these action movies or like a big burly muscular russian like most of these action movies my concept of what evil is is just like a white middle-aged guy like he's got male pattern baldness he's got dumb little glasses like he's tall but he's not like monstrously foreboding and robocop is way bigger than him like he wasn't interested in feeding into racial stereotypes or physical stereotypes about like evil he was just like this is what a lot of these guys look like. And the idea that this guy would like looks like a, a paper pusher with a sinister side and is so confident doing evil is delicious. And I think that's part of the... Hold on, I sent, I sent you a text. It is Himmler. I just sent you a text. Does Himmler I, have the Himmler dumb little like. glasses? Let's see. Oh, he does have the dumb little glasses. Look at this fucking yeah. dweeb. Yeah. Man, you know... I'm Nuremberg trials were great and everything, but like, I would love to have just given one of these guys just a big fucking swirly and never stopped. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that'll eventually kill him too. Uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I understand you probably should have like national tribunal or international tribunals and shit, but like, look at this fucking nerd. I do think, hold on. So, uh, that's actually an interesting pause point. So, you know what one of the because we are like I like I have no compunctions about like, oh yeah, we should definitely execute uh Nazi war criminals. Mm. It's not debatable to me, I don't know. With a plum. Yeah. Um but one of the criticisms of this movie is that this is uh liberal fascist propaganda, the idea that like um it is it is definitely like there's no debate that it has a liberal perspective and like corporations are bad and, and um, you know, the people who run corporations are bad and like all this sort of stuff. But the, the fantasy is that like they get killed. <laughs> and so the, the criticism is like um, is not is not necessarily misunderstanding, but like the idea that like 
Um, yeah, it's for it's for liberals to feel to 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 feel like well, at least we're seeing the right people get killed. And I got to tell you, I don't think it's liberal or conservative to say that Nazi war criminals should be killed. That's just me. Yeah, that is my my humble opinion. I think it's something we share. Also, this is a fucking comic book movie. Like, yeah, I know. Like this, this is all like like the yeah. Actually, I don't think. I mean, I I don't. I think that what's his name? Um, Clarence Boddicker. Uh, no, I was thinking of the the real life. Oh, uh, Heinrich Himmler. No, the uh, the more evil guy, the Peter. Tesla guy. Oh, Elon Musk. Elon Musk. Sorry, I'm not. I'm not trying to compare. I, I I don't know who's more evil. I I haven't I haven't done the math. Um, but like uh, like I do think Elon Musk should probably be arrested. I but I do not support someone going and killing Elon Musk. Yeah, and I that think that that's why it's not like the Ronnie Cox is. People are like the fact that he exists is a problem. The fact that uh, the 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 system allows like this corporation all these things to exist is a problem. That is that is, wanting them removed from power and enjoying the way that it happens in a comic book movie is different than being like I think that uh, Heinrich Himmler should have faced the death penalty from the Nuremberg trials. Yeah, man. E- even with a wedgie, man, or a swirly. I think either would have been fine. I think I think death penalties by humiliation is the best. Yeah, yeah. Also, like whoever is finger wagging at people about being pro pro dead villain is like. Come on, man. We're not talking about actual human lives here. We're talking about a fucking comic book movie where a, ro- a robot that makes squealing noises like a pig <laughs> blows a boardroom <laughs> apart <laughs> and shoots like 9,000 9, bullets into a man. And then someone in the room goes, get a paramedic. <laughs> yeah, that is the point. It's, but that's the thing is like that is supposed to be seen as as bad. Like RoboCop having the... This movie posits that's why, like that, like ha- giving a cop the authority to be the judge, jury, and executioner is bad. Whether it turns out to be RoboCop or whether it turns out to be ED two hundred nine, that man was not. That man was not shot. That man was exsanguinated. Yeah, <laughs> no, <laughs> he shot out more squid blood than there is in the human body. <laughs> Yeah. Uh so I, I just think that's interesting that like that not it's not interesting, it's stupid. But yeah, that dumb. is yeah. I, I it's good to sometimes um half acknowledge uh criticisms of a movie before steaming past them without re- <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um where were we? Oh, um I'd like to give that guy who thought that a swirly that didn't kill him. Yeah, just a nice just, just, uncomfortable. A, just a wake up swirly. Yeah. Um so, uh, 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 oh, so the, the, the connection here, actually, there's kind of a, we talked about this in the first half, but there's kind of a, um, there's kind of a, a reason why there's Dick Jones and, um, Clarence Boddicker are connected. And that's that there, there's like there's conspiracy money. and the, there's money and there's a reason for old Detroit to want to raise their crime rates so that gentrification is easier. And then uh Clarence Boddicker is like what's my piece in the new world and uh Dick Jones is like I'm not trying to solve crime like you can sell drugs to all the new workers <laughs> that are coming in to build Delta City and Clarence Boddicker's like oh well yeah I mean I guess I can like shift away from killing cops as my primary business and move to kill you know yeah. uh, being a drug dealer um, it's the same thing with private prisons, right? Like if you run a private police force or private any social service, the problem is that you have different motivations than what the social service, good, bad, or otherwise, was there for. So like Dick Jones understands that in this system, 
that cr- crime is an essential component of his product, which is police force and crime stoppage. And so, like a lot of shitty robber baron capitalists, he wants to control both angles where he's controlling the crime and the thing that's stopping crime so he can profit both ways. It's the same thing with the prison industrial complex, right? Like private prisons, they have to keep – if they stop crime – who are they going to put into the prisons that they make their money on? So they have to keep them full because it is a for-profit enterprise. I was just reading a story about a judge who op- who operated a lot of youth courts for petty crimes. Oh, Literally yeah. people who, like kids who stole like a candy bar would get sent away for like 12 years. And he would have them, he would meet with them without... Um, their lawyers. That was the guy in Pennsylvania, right? Like, yeah. The, thank God he went to jail too. I think. Yeah. Without lawyers, without representation, without yeah. without their parents, and would just sort of like within seconds send them off to this private prison, and was getting direct kickbacks for it. Yeah. Like this shit happens in the real world. And also, yeah, like I like that you're, you're, you're you talk about like if you are if you are incentivized to both sell the disease and the cure. Good high crime rates are great for people that yeah. sell um, body armor and a- APCs to cops, right? Um, and all the cops in this movie look like SWAT members, right? Like it's not like yes, they do. They do seem like they need body armor um, because the crime is pretty bad there. But the reason the crime is bad there is because there's not just like subtle economic and moral reasons or economic and uh, systemic reasons for why crime is bad. There's literally men being paid. <laughs> to commit those crimes so in a, in a so that connection there is both interesting and in like a um in a um literal sense and also in a symbolic sense where reagan's crime policies were creating a crime wave which made him uh have a pretty good argument for law and order yeah style oh yeah crackdowns minimum sentencing Higher minimum sentencing, uh, more people in jail, three strikes policies. Just like uh, the war on drugs, like contributed to more drug use. Like it's they're 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 specifically not solving things in order to essentially like fund money where they want. I mean, go look at any graph of uh, crime rates of the last 40 years and spend, uh, spending on police forces in the last 40 years. And you'll notice that the two lines go in different directions because that one has nothing to do with the other. One. Yeah. And violent crime has plummeted despite what you'll see on Fox News. But even that, like, actually, not to go, this, it's going to be that kind of episode, but like, that's a great example of the news media. Like, how much did the news media across, like, quote unquote, liberal, non-liberal, like, or, you know, moderate conservatives how many did they how much did they report of like the the huge rise of violent and crime in 2021 comparing it only to 2020 uh yeah like when everyone was at home and no one went out and like there was all these other these other things it was like everyone breathlessly reported with no context how bad crime was and every police department went out to blame it on black lives matter protests and george floyd and and threats that never materialized to cut police spending and every news media outlet parrots that without context to the point that it only gets you have fucking dumbass joe biden going out and being like we need to fund the police when like 90% of city budgets already go to the police. Uh, yeah. And also um, the defund the police and the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, actually, the end result of that was police departments got more funding. Yeah. So, because everything is dumb and I hate it all. Yeah. 
So jumping back to things that rule, um, Clarence Boddicker uh, walking into Miguel Ferrer's apartment and saying, bitches, leave. <laughs> and, then, and then putting a grenade on the table that he un, he un, uh, oh God, it's so good. He unpins it with his tongue as he just puts in like a DVD of Dick Jones. Um, Dick Jones threatening. Did Paul Verhoeven uh, invent DVD technology? Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. Um, just for the story, did. Yeah. Um, and then also what's funny about that exchange, he blows up that guy's house. He puts a silencer on his desert Eagle and to shoot him, just making the desert Eagle, which is already one of the biggest handguns on the planet, maybe the biggest handgun on the planet, making it like four or five inches longer. And then he blows up the house anyways. Like the suppressor doesn't matter. No, I, everything about how he never says anything else with a huge smile on his face, chewing gum and pointing at the video is just amazing. That's a, that's a, uh, Kurtwood Smith original. Um, and, uh, them not realizing he's him being murdered and being like, you're going to call me. Right. It's so funny. Um, so good. And, uh, and like, there is that moment where he's like, you know, we could have really been friends and worked together. We're like, there's a part of you that when you see through the eyes of Miguel Ferreira, you're like, fuck Mel- Miguel Ferreira. You should have thought you should have worked harder to, to make him on your side. You idiot. Yeah. Because it like it again, siding with evil, even when you're already evil, just just seems like appealing. Well, also, let's let's note here that this movie is specifically commenting on the Wall Street uh, doggy dog social Darwinism thing, which is that like these guys, since they're both competing for the old man's seat, eventually um, they are in direct competition and they might as well be enemies at opposite company. Um, so, oh, while we're talking about Desert Eagles, they originally wanted, uh, Robocop to have a Desert Eagle, but instead what they ended up going with was a, um, a weapon that has some history with, uh, militarization of police, um, which is a Beretta 93R, which is a fully automatic version of a Beretta. And, uh, <laughs> but it was even this like fully automatic, uh, this fully automatic Beretta handgun when they were designing it, the, the, the staff were designing Robocop's kind of look. They're like, it's too small in his hand. So they had to add a bunch of shit to make it look more imposing. So it's got this massive box compensator on the end to make it look super badass. And he, yeah. and he has the TJ laser move because he re, he, he remembers, in, in, in whatever philosophical sense you want to use the word remembers, but he remembers um, that was something that Murphy did. Um, and it goes into his leg <laughs> instead of going into a holster. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's, it's so good. It's so sick. Um, but yeah, that massive box compensator on the end just makes it look so fucking huge. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, but yeah, uh, so... It's, it's, uh, I'm not in any way a gun fetishist, but, like, it's one of the few guns in movies where I'm like, it's a cool gun. Yeah, that Beretta 93R is, 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 uh, is pretty rad, and it's, um, listen, say, it's the, the thing at the end is just to, like, redirect gas, but also his hand barely moves when he fires. Um, yeah. so, like... It, it, it's it's a thing to reduce recoil, but I think part of the advantage of being Robocop is recoil doesn't matter because you have a metal arm. <laughs> like it's kind of, uh, an, yeah, it's kind of an interesting, like uh, it's kind of an interesting thing. Like that I was thinking about, like uh, that, like that's one reason Robocop would be good. He'd probably have expert, expert uh, aim because like his, his hand doesn't waver and he can reset shots really easily between recoil. Uh, the only, the only other time, um, the only, <laughs> the only real life example I can think of where I was like, Oh, 
that's kind of a cool gun was I was at this uh it's a longer story I'm not going to get into it but I was at an NRA convention once mm-hmm. um and do you know the the gun that the Joker uses in Batman 1989 to shoot down the Batwing that with, like, huge it looks like a re- it looks like a revolver with a long like an insanely long barrel for no reason mm. do you know that's a real gun that you can buy I know that they made barrel length revolvers they usually would have a stock on it so you could actually steady the shot but i think the joker version is just a pistol grip uh but they so i mean again the ones that i saw for sale were the same (laughs) and i was like again of course i fucking hated everything about i was there for again different reasons but there was a part of me that again just because of movie culture makes factious out of all of us or whatever it's like hmm that's pretty cool because of that movie I saw. And I didn't know this existed. So do I want a giant Joker gun? Obviously not. But, yeah, and it gets uh, snagged on your snagged on your pants as you're pulling it up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you got to wear it all the way through the pants. Yeah, but, you, it gets uh, snagged on your chain wallet. You got to wear the you got to remember to wear the chain wallet on the other side for that day. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Chain wallet on the left side. If you're right here. Critical. Yeah. If you're southpaw, critical. Reverse that direction. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, he goes and hunts Clarence Boddicker down, and I'm trying not to stop the movie for every Clarence Boddicker line, but it's going to happen. Uh, Clarence yeah. Boddicker is is uh you know basically fucking around with a coke distributor, and yeah, and he does something in a in the movie that's like the, one of the greatest villain moments ever. He sticks two fingers into the guy's wine to sniff it, and then he threatens to kill the guy, and then the guy drinks the wine. Like, he doesn't, like, there's something, there's something so, like, badass about that sequence between, like, them just being, like, we're gonna figure out a mutual place of decision. I hate you and we'll probably betray each other at some point, but right now, like, you need muscle and... Yeah. Um, you need muscle and I can get your coke out. Yeah. Um, so fucking funny. Guns, 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 guns. (laughs) Come on, Sam! Yeah! I mean, I mean... Bonnie's obviously a terrible person, but like he just enjoys it so much. Like it's hard not to get caught up in the excitement of cop killing and and drug dealing. Yeah. Why I we watched uh, like a Cubs Tigers game. <laughs> not Cubs, sorry, uh Bears Tigers game at some point. And uh <laughs> like, I did the <laughs> Come on, can, Sam. Can you help me understand who the like you you watched a football team play a baseball team? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I adverse those. I don't know to which way though. I watched. Did a, you see the Lions play the Bears of the Cubs? Okay, play the Detroit Tigers, which are Tigers, a baseball team. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And I did the. the These team. are all like teams in your area, your hometown. So I think I think you should be able to get those right. Yeah, I'm just moving really fast, trying to get through all my notes, and I'm mixing okay, them up. Also, yeah. I, I mix up the Cubs and the Bears. It's fine. Um, so it's funny uh, to me. So probably worth editing out. <laughs> probably. Uh, so yeah, uh, he he uh, Clarence Boddicker basically like uh, you know he, he gets arrested along with the rest of his crew as Robocop is sort of realizing himself. And this actually happens before he kills uh, Miguel Ferreira. 
It's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're just sort of talking about, like, Mo- yeah, Robocop's track, you know? Um, so yeah. he, he arrests the rest of the gang sort of on a personal, an act of personal um, realization uh, throughout this. Because he goes to his old house as he's like... Because he, because uh, 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 Nancy Allen calls him Murphy because figures out who he is, and then he's sort of having a meltdown. And when the one person he doesn't kill is one of the gang members, right? Because he 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 recognizes well the gang member with the weird uh, haircut. I forget his mm-hmm. name, Emil. Emil, yeah. And he's like, "We killed you," and that's when uh, he pu- kind of starts putting two to two together. And he goes, and he doesn't end up hurting him because he kind of collapses on the floor as he's like having some of those memories flood back again whatever you want to say about whether that's him flooding back or just, you know, his programming that's supposed to tap into memories is tapping into memories and it's personal stuff as opposed to the cop skills that they were hoping that it would do. And uh, yeah, then he goes to his house, which is empty, but he sees the flashes of his wife and his kid through the house as he walks through it, which is a great scene. Uh, yeah, it's, it, it is a great scene. Uh, just this, this perfect little slice of the American life with some modern technology very 80s style like a lot of white on white on white like white carpet white walls white furniture um very very 80s um and uh yeah so he's sort of uh coming into a realization that he's at a, at a conflict point and that's going to come to a head soon because he arrests clarence boddicker and his entire gang and clarence boddicker um just basically is like you can't you can't harm me. I'm under protection of Dick Jones. And then Robocop's like, all right, I'll go arrest Dick Jones. <laughs> yeah. And when he goes to arrest Dick Jones, uh, Director 4 comes into play, which means that, um, like we discussed previously, he's not allowed to arrest any member of OCP because it's in his programming. The system itself does not allow justice to ever come to those who are committing injustice. And it's, uh, it's more insidious than like, you know, like some old crimey cartoon of like, I, I physically can't move my hand. The programming is specifically that the the RoboCop shuts down if it attempts to do it. So it's like it's like so that they can if he comes with like evidence of wrongdoing, it's not just that he can't, you know, take the action to shoot him or arrest him or whatever else it is. It's literally like you're going to shut down so that we can deal with your, you know, shut down corpse in a way that won't hurt us ever. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. He th- let's talk about RoboCop as a performance piece here because the suit was actually made by Rob Boutin, um of the Thing fame. Oh, did you want to quickly go to the end since we're kind of almost there? I yeah, I guess. But I kind of want to no, talk about the Herky Jerky thing because it's something that oh, okay. gets kind of yeah, memeified. Sure. So it's kind of become a meme is that Herky Jerky uh, thing. And so uh, Weller spent months preparing for this role. Um, he was. They ca- they tried to cast a few different people, including Michael Ironside, who were too big, but they wanted Weller because he was a good actor, he has a great yeah. voice, and he has a good chin line, and he's small enough to fit inside of a suit that could be applied. So Weller trained for months uh, to to uh, figure out the work, and he had sort of like a serpentine, smooth kind of flow for the, the um, RoboCop. And he had a panic attack after being in the chair for like 11 hours the first day when they were applying the makeup and he couldn't fucking walk in it, basically. He was sweating. He sweated yeah. buckets no matter what, but he was just sweating buckets in this thing and couldn't move. And he hired his old, or he hired, talked to his old, um, like, dance instructor, mime instructor from college. Yeah. And um, they figured out a way to make his movements very protracted and very punchy at the end. So, like, 
um, leaning into the robot nature of it and making all of his moves and moves and gestures very, very, um, very sweeping. And Rob Bottin adjusted his suit design um, a little bit to allow this to happen. And so basically he would be in getting the suit on for six and a half hours a day and then the makeup on for a minimum of another hour and a half. Uh, but then when they take the visor off, it was like way the fuck more than an hour and a half, right? Um, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> like this herky jerky sequence is basically like while we're leaning into this, this, this sort of um, performance in a way that's like so affecting and also like kind of funny, and it's uh, it's it's a fantastic moment in cinema history, and then it became a meme. Uh, yeah. I mean, everything becomes a meme. So yeah. So uh. uh he gets out, they get out of prison, they give him fucking rocket guns. I don't know, what are those guns? Uh, rifles? Yeah, it's like a it's a like an exploding shell M eighty five. It's called like a Cobra Dragon or something. It's like it's, it's, a, it's a, cool, a fake movie gun. Definitely a fake movie gun, definitely the type of gun you get in late game in first person shooters. Uh and it's it's cool and it blows up things when it shoots stuff and it's like they have the gun they, from aliens is actually a Thompson machine gun dressed up. Uh, it's, yeah. it's an actual machine gun. It's an actual uh, anti-material rifle that they added a bunch of shit to. And also everybody running around with them will hold it at like waist length because it's like a big exploding dick gun. Yes. And uh, oh, we forgot to mention. So Robocop escapes after he gets shut down. Uh, he kind of forces himself through like whatever version of him uh, is no longer the Robocop, but starting to become this new version of of Murphy. And he escapes and they send uh uh, ED 209 after him and of course in normal like uh, shitty corporation bad product testing <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah can't do stairs can't, can't do stairs uh, he literally falls over and whines like a baby uh, it's great but uh, he, he ends up escaping as well but he gets shot quite a lot like the thing about Robocop is he gets shot a lot more than he did when he was part uh, part person part man Part man, he got shot a lot, but as a RoboCop, he gets shot even more. It's also um, this is also He's like mostly fine. With this it. goes back to this goes back to what I was saying. That's a movie about like self realization, which is very funny because the bullets don't so much hurt him physically as they do emotionally, like him being rejected by everyone he knows and having to like physically roll away because he's just getting pummeled with automatic machine gun fire like yeah he's not really dying he's just kind of like an immense amount of pain emotional and psychological pain and confusion yeah yeah that's a good call out um so eventually but of course uh uh Boddicker has the tracking because he's a product uh so there's a confrontation back at the where he got uh, where where Murphy got killed to begin with, uh, good sequence has the very famous um spilled toxic waste on the henchmen uh falls apart. Uh, one of them I think like uh, I think I watched the director's cut, but that was one of the biggest differences between the um the original cut, which got an X rating, and the director's cut, uh, which is like more time of him. <laughs> <laughs> melting away from the toxic waste i love the other thing the 80s has which uh not many uh um speaking of uh properties they made into kids stuff they made toxic avenger into the toxic crusader and a kid's cartoon and toys and i had some fucking weird it's <laughs> very weird um that uh but yeah the 80s love the idea of if you spill toxic waste on a person they become a horrendous mutant um and this I, lo I like that part 
Get off me, man! Get off me, man! Uh, so he explodes. Uh, Robocop walks on water to really hammer home the Jesus Christ metaphor. And I mean, he doesn't. It just looks like that because he's walking. He's shallow water. But. And uh, Bodiger gets killed. Gets. gets uh, everyone gets blown up. He gets data spiked. Gets data spiked. We didn't talk. In case we don't get back to the data spike, I love the idea that the people that designed the computers and the data infrastructure system in the Robocop universe uh, had a spike port somewhere installed. And I'm sure over the years people were like, are we going to ever figure out what the spike port's (laughs) for? And everyone just went, shut the fuck up. We're going to find a use for the spike port. It's also like, I've only ever used my thumb drive for being a thumb drive. Yeah, you think no, the spike nothing board on the, different? Nothing on your body when you're a, a military killer robot should be one item use. Well, yeah, I mean, it's good that he finds other items with it, like kind of giving people the middle finger, <laughs> but a big one, a big dangerous middle finger, and for killing, uh, killing Boddicker. But yeah, then he shows up at the boardroom. Um, uh, he kills Ed. Uh, I love how easily he kills uh, Ed two hundred nine. Just he uses one of the guns and he shoots him a few times. Pretty easy. Uh, Robocop is greater than ED-209 and he goes up to the boardroom and he's like I can't kill him <laughs> until until the CEO's like you're fired dick and he shoots thank you <laughs> shoots him a few times flies out the window uh, another meme about why his arms get so long uh, when he falls off uh, and he goes what's your name son and he's like Murphy <laughs> And then Robocop flashes on the screen. Oh, there, and a great end. theme song. Oh, yeah. Uh, the It's the it's the One More Night by Phil Collins. Uh, yeah, that's the one. <laughs> Sorry, goddammit. I was thinking of, he, he did, Phil Collins did do a theme song in the 80s that I think won the Academy Award called Separate Lives. <laughs> I just figured it would be a Love Machine. Oh, that would have been a good one, too. That one I mean, song any machine-based, machine. what? That one song about being a love machine, remember? Yeah, except that that was in script uh, draft three of uh, uh, Niemeyer's script. <laughs> Verhoeven decided that was a bad. He's not a love machine. He's a platonic friend machine. Uh, and he I'm works just for a platonic you. love machine. Other people, most will people, help you move if you need it bad. Anybody that he that doesn't unload on him with shotguns uh, can be <laughs> a platonic friend of RoboCop. Um, can we can we talk about how Robocop, um, when he's one of the best uh, jokes in the movie, is he has just saved a woman from sexual assault. And he oh. goes, I will alert a rape crisis center. And she's just like looking at him like, um, <laughs> what what just happened? She's like double traumatized. Because <laughs> the system. Sis- well, yeah, because she goes like for human comfort after a very inhuman monster moment in her life. And he's like, I will alert a local rape grace center which i guess is just to call like and it's it's a fun riff on the cowboy thing where like the yeah. cowboy stops the rustlers from assaulting the woman and uh then he usually like at least offers her an arm to cry on or hold her for a second and be like don't cry i'm sure you could be dead back on your daddy's farm and uh, two winks of a cow or like whatever the shit uh cowboy say and uh instead he's just a, he's a fucking robot yeah, I will alert. I will alert a rape crisis center. 
Because it's this, uh, yeah. this ultimately that's the that's the, the point of the movie is the movie is like making fun of if we just fund cops and and then the cops hit harder we can solve crime where it's like very often what crime needs is actually a very delicate touch and like what it needs is yeah like a, a, the human compassion to deal with it and it's like if this guy gets called on like a domestic violence call does he just like burst through the fucking door and start shooting a guy for like because a couple is arguing too loud. Yeah, I mean, that is such a great point about this movie. This movie is very much not pro-cop because it's that idea of like, and why uh, that you you can't, there's a difference between stopping and solving crime. And it, and both of those concepts can be very removed or not so removed, depending on what you're doing, from the concept of a justice system, right? Like, they they're buying the police force this corporation there's no mention of like judges or juries or a process or anything like that beyond like a Boddicker being like give me my phone call after he spits blood on the table another every moment with him is great he's so goddamn right but um it's it's the idea of like so much of conservative propaganda when it comes to the police force is this idea of stopping crime well the only um thing you care about is stopping crime, then RoboCop's definition of this movie is like stopping the crime that is occurring or making the situation impossible for the crime to happen in the maybe not long term, but in the immediate short term, then RoboCop is succeeding at stopping crime. What he's not succeeding at doing is solving crime, fixing fixing the issues that led to the crime, rehabilitating the people involved in those crime. It is just a wall that goes up in front. And again, all of the all of the boundaries that are supposed that our justice system is supposed to um protect us for that idea of like our constitution and our rights as human beings and whether they're in the constitution or not. Like that idea of like a right to a fair trial, right to not cruel unusual punishment and all these sort of things. Like so many of our amendments that even the most conservative person would like triumph and Republicans would, you know, say, this is what makes us America are based on this idea of like recognizing that the, that the state has a power over an individual to, to prosecute them and hurt them, whether they've done something or not. And the fact that all that goes out the window, whether it's from like Robocop's perspective or like the actual police, um, is is telling and it's telling that again the corp you know the corporation ocp or whatever didn't buy the judges or the justice system they now have this police force which in in theoretically on paper is an extension of our criminal justice system governed by the constitution and the bill of rights and everything else and they've stripped that part away from it to be essentially a private security force to enact policies that um are aligned with the public support which again they manipulate and control as well as well as their their ends and means which is again the enrichment of people who already are rich yeah i mean it's a really good point and also like even if they're not buying the justice system which they definitely are because they're doing yeah. that in modern day america so why wouldn't they be able to do it in the uh slightly ridiculous version um they don't necessarily need to because so much of the um the law enforcement is 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 a if, if you can buy law enforcement, you can very often buy the justicism. Yeah, because there's such tacit connection between the two, and such a partnership between the two that leads to um, 
Well, they're both in the interest of uh, and high conviction rates, right? Like DAs yeah. very often get uh, elected on um, I- I'm tough on crime and yeah. I will get you election notices. I mean, like our vice president is t- like <laughs> built her career on on being tough on tough crime on in crime. California. Yeah. Um, that like there's it's very rare actually for a DA to have a truly antagonistic relationship with the police department. They can have yeah. disagreements on, you know, uh, quality of evidence gathered or whatever, or soundness of case. But, like, very often they but, have Yeah, it's usually all soundbite stuff, too, right? Like, it's the idea of, like, oh, this isn't going to play well in in the public. Like, even so much of, like, I, I watch that O.J. Simpson documentary, like, once a year because it's so goddamn good. And even though, like, I, I think O.J. Simpson was almost certainly guilty of uh, the crime of murder, um... So much of the conversation around the una- the the non-ethical stuff that the, the the LA Police Department did is separated from that conversation in a way that's very disturbing, even from the yeah. quote unquote like good guys in that situation. Is this idea of like they're frustrated with the police for doing all this stuff, not because it um is antithetical to the concept of criminal adjustment or representative of, of a corruption that they were tacitly approaching, but because it made their case, uh, the public opinion of their, it hurt the public opinion of their case, right? Like it, it hurt the specific case they were doing. And they and both so, need convictions. And they needed the conviction. And like, they were getting a lot of pressure to do the conviction because this seemed like a slam duck case. And I think, you know, uh, what's that, what's that uh, podcast, um, you're wrong about. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if you've listened. Uh, I think you introduced me. You and Carrie introduced me to it. So oh, yeah. Sure that, yeah, I, sure I, you, I love it. I uh, Carrie made me listen to it, and uh, I got obsessed with it. Yeah, it's one of the few, uh, even at a time when um, I'm not listening to as much, like, audio-based podcasts or books, because I don't drive as much as I used to a couple of years ago, um, I still make time for that. And I, I their, their take on the O.J. Simpson trial was so fascinating to me, because it really was this idea of, like, yeah, he's probably guilty and he definitely was an abusive, scary man. But, like, that is almost separate from a system that, like, try, were, were so anxious to convict him that they tried to cheat their way to it. And the the good guys in this situation being more frustrated with um, that it cost them the case than the, the the fact that all of those people should probably be in prison as well. Yeah, yeah. Like for DAs and prosecutors, like they're you know they're not like holy shit these people violated our the our you know the laws of California. It's like now nah, you hurt this case, and like that that's a very complicated conversation to have. And what why it's easy fascinating to have is because it's in around a case where I think most people would agree that O.J. Simpson is not a good person and a very, very likely murderer. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but, like, you know, the, the reason the case is, is, is so um, interesting is because it carries an immense amount of, of social baggage and it ended up being an yep. access point for all of the problems that the country had uh, been choosing to bury, uh, I guess the powers that be had been choosing to bury for a very long time. Yeah. Um, all of a sudden, all of those problems resurfaced. Um, domestic violence cases not being well handled. Um, overconviction of black men um, 
how yeah. how rich people are treated differently within the justice system because they have access to better lawyers like how co- yeah. the cops and uh, the the justice department um have a very sickeningly toxic relationship like all of this stuff resurfaced all at once and that's why people keep coming back to oj because it's like kind of this perfect it was also someone that was a case that was very shocking and it's brutality. And this was someone who was a public figure and it's like literally like at some point. And he was America's nice guy, right? Yeah. And we, we will at some point cover, um, we will at some point cover his comedic films. Yeah. I mean, the Naked Gun's one of my favorite movies. It's so time. fucking funny. God, I, I've been pitching you at, and not like hard, but like it's on our list to do the, the parody month, do like maybe like Spaceballs and Naked Gun and. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. I'm, 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 Next I time we need a light fight on you. Moment. I would fight. I fight you on the concept that there's only 12 months in a year. <laughs> we, if there were more months in the year, we'd get get more movies done. Um, Again, 300 more movies tops to go, and then we've watched them all, so we'll get there. Yeah, we'll get there. Um, and Naked Gun two and a half only counts as um, a half movie or, or two and a half movies, right? I mean, if we did Naked Gun, because we would never do two and a half or 33 and a third. We just have to do, like, a super app. There needs to be, like, a Halloween special for comedies so we have a reason to watch all three Naked Gun movies and talk about Um, Us surviving a nuclear war will only do comedies after that. Yeah, you may never hear this episode. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny. I have so much to say about this movie, but I feel like I feel like uh, we we should probably kind of point towards the end because say one more thing you want to say about this movie because you did in typical Pete, I am over obsessed and excited fashion, which I love about you. That's not a criticism; it's an observation. <laughs> um, what, what say one more thing you want to say? Um, let's see. Let's see. Um, this movie, this movie did get Oscar attention, which is, uh, pretty amazing. It was very well reviewed. People did get this movie for what it's worth. Yeah. This wasn't something that, this wasn't something that I think people, um, like didn't get, it was an underappreciated classic. It made a ton of money. It made it to the point that Ed Newmeyer and Steve Miner kind of, or Michael Miner, I keep calling him Steve Miner, Michael Miner, um, (laughs) It ru- it kind of ruined their brains for a while. Both of them kind of admitted like they they didn't expect this script to blow up so much. So like most of their credits for the rest of their life are like like RoboCop spinoffs where they're getting credits yeah. for creating characters in the world. Um, but one of my favorite things I saw in an interview, and this is something that I noticed this time, is that Paul Verhoeven is very like cheeky and irreverent in interviews, and yeah. he'll be very serious when he needs to be, but. Um, People will be like, Paul, what attracted you to um, such, such like a dark satire? And he'll be like, oh, I shoot what's in the script. Uh, <laughs> like, oh, I didn't think there was anything silly there. I just shot what was in the script. Like he's making no. a joke. But I do think it's funny, though, that we, we credit Paul Verhoeven as this like master of satire. And you need to be a master of satire to to pull off a movie like this. You can't doesn't happen accidentally. But for them, him, this was like a job to come over to Hollywood because he had. You'd done flesh and blood. He'd done a bunch of movies all in the government. Um, all no, the- Flesh and Blood is his first American movie. Like, he was trying to find a bigger... But it was somewhat critically successful and okay financial. That's the... Um, not Ed Harris. Um, pa- R- Ruger Hauer? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a cool movie. Really cool movie. Yeah, it's, it's, it's okay. I really like it. Um, Interesting. 
Uh, but yeah, I really like Flesh and Blood. Um, and uh, but it was it's clearly not as successful as like you know the the movies later that would strike on this chord. And I'm a big fan of Basic yeah. Instinct um, as well. You love Basic Instinct. I love Showgirls. I've Showgirls. Did you Girls. watch the doc? Did you watch the documentary? Uh, you don't know me. Uh, I haven't watched it yet. You should. It's actually pretty good. Like I've I I I came around to thinking like Showgirls is is pretty close to a masterpiece after reading a lot of commentary and you know over the last 10 years from like it being shitty to like being like, Oh, it's doing everything it's supposed to be doing really well. So I've, I've come around pretty hard on that. Being movie. a movie dork doesn't help me here because I very often I'll, will end up seeing these movies for the first time with the added context that it's like yeah. purposeful camp or something. So like, yeah. I don't end up seeing movies like speed racer um, out of context. I end up seeing them with like, well, yeah, they were trying to replicate the, you know, the tenor of the cartoon, but the thing that I think is so funny here is like we take away a lot of credit from Michael Miner and and Ed Newmeyer by just focusing on Paul Verhoeven here, but it was their script, and Paul gives them credit for all, like all, almost all the political satire except for a few jokes he wrote. And well, uh, he did bring them uh, Newmeyer back for Starship Troopers too, which yeah, and Starship Troopers uses a lot of the same tricks. It has the fake yep. commercials from the propaganda machine, like it's 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 a uh, it's lovely and. Um, he, he says, he says like, he's like, yeah, I, I wanted to make an American action movie. And I thought it was something that I needed to figure out how to do. Um, and I don't want to go full auteur theory here, even though like we're going to be praising Verhoeven when we do more of his movies in the future. I don't want to go full, full auteur theory here because like I do want to give credit to these two guys because like they were the ones that inspired Verhoeven to make this and, and Verhoeven's wife yeah. just inspired him to make this, this crazy fucking movie. Um, because he was like, well, I, I, I want to hit the satire, but I also want to make like a killer American action movie. Yeah. And he succeeded and he pulled in a level, level of talent here. That's just crazy. Right. Like Rob Bottin works on your suits and Phil Tippett is doing Phil your SFX, yeah. like taking a full day to do certain squib shots. Like, that's the sort of talent and the sort of craft that, like, they just don't budget for anymore. Yeah, I this is definitely one of the films that I agree. Like, Newmeyer, who worked on Blade Runner 2 and, and Minor, like, they, they're they so critical. And again, like, you know, uh, Verhoeven's uh, was, was – he's gotten more fluent in English and reading English and stuff like that. But, he you know, he wasn't that much at the time either. And so, like, a lot of the – you know, he was doing a lot and really trusting the scriptwriters to help, like, when they were collaborating post, you know. Th- th- you're right. Like, this wasn't a movie where the script was sold and then everyone went away. Like, Verhoeven worked closely with Miner and Newmeyer throughout the process to when they would discuss different drafts, even ones they disagreed with, like the love story draft. You know, that they it there was a collaboration and an idea and then a mutual agreement that, like, oh, wait, that doesn't work. Let's... Let's do this. So uh, agree a hundred percent. And Ver- Ver- Verhoeven's one of the first people to credit him too. Like I do think like the you can credit. I think where Ver- Verhoeven not, maybe not on tour theory, but gets the right amount of credit is that he he shoots action in a way that I think kind of became synonymous with with like the way I thought about good action movies. But a lot of times, like when you know one one of the things is like. We, we got these we, – we were lucky enough to kind of get these sort of, you know, fucking truly, like, amazing action directors in the 80s and 90s, like, uh, whether it's Cameron and with um, 
the Terminator movies or Verhoeven with like RoboCop and Total Recall and like, uh, or even like McTiernan and who did just, you know, with Die Hard and all the other stuff, like you're, you're the level of talent that was creating kind of our idea of the eighties and nineties action or sci-fi action movie was insane, which is also why when all of us went and saw like fucking eraser starring Schwarzenegger and didn't understand as a kid, why we loved true lies, but didn't like eraser (laughs) seemed on paper like the same. It's because like that level of talent just doesn't really exist because you know, there's not, there's not these like I'm not I'm not trying to go a whole like I'm not saying things were better or worse but like there's just not like this level of like budgets or or availability to bring in talent for like these types of movies anymore like these types of movies just don't exist better or worse and like they're all part of their own franchises now like robocop's a a property in a franchise and if it was owned by disney you know he'd show up in 2026 in the blade movie or whatever i don't know but like um i mean that's what makes it telling that 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 verhoven pulled off the the trick that the set the satiric trick he was trying to pull which is that it did turn into like a money-making franchise with toys and toy guns and cartoons and you get a toy RoboCop gun for kids. And, uh, yeah, it's, again, this is a story, too, where this isn't something that, like, I think, star, it's so funny that 10 years later, Starship Troopers, no one got the satire. Everyone got the satire of this movie. So it's a huge block, huge blockbuster. And maybe it's because it's coming at the end of the Reagan era, specifically. And, like, uh, people, I think, in general, were pretty, like, done with Reaganomics, I think. Um, even though, even though George H.W. Uh, Bush was, was, elected and he definitely had a element of popularity there there was a switch from like reagan wins everything but minnesota in 1984 to like george hw bush or like the overall public opinion of ronald reagan and reaganomics and stuff like that so i think maybe in 87 everyone everyone was a little more primed to kind of get it a little more but yeah huge box office success critically well extremely well reviewed like it is a movie that was so did so good in test screenings that it was like predicted to be a sleeper hit of the summer and stuff like that by all these industry insiders like this is a massive success story all the way around. And like a recent other, like 1987 massive success story that we just talked about, Die Hard, or that might, I think that might have been 88, but whatever. Um, you know, it, it deserves every single one of its accolades. And the fact that the, you know, the fact that we're, you know, what, 30 some years later, 35 years later, I think this is the 35th anniversary of RoboCop, Peter, I'm just realizing, which is kind of gross to say in my mouth. <laughs> um, uh, but, like, the fact that everyone still watches the news and watches everything and goes, man, and watches the commercials. Like, there was that – this just happened recently. We're recording this in March of 2022. They were – CNN was talking about the first attack by Russia into Ukraine, and they went to commercial with the attack still playing, and then there was an Applebee's commercial, like – over in the corner, everyone goes, Jesus Christ, it's like we're living in RoboCop. And it's true. This movie has only gained, like, we are all living in Verhoeven's America. And it's depressing as shit. Uh, but that doesn't mean that the movie doesn't rule as much as it did back there. And again, much like um, we talked about with Albert Brooks in real life, where it seems like he had some sort of vision to the future because it's so close. Things are only closer to that 
uh, than than they were at his time. I feel the same way about Robocop. Like it's you know it's it's simultaneously exciting and awesome and good and funny and uh, you know gives you so much to chew on and simultaneously like God damn it this is basically what's going on now. Yeah, and like I don't want to I don't want to like you know st- say that uh, Newmeyer and, and Miner had like a crystal ball or Verhoeven had a crystal yeah. ball because like they we're just looking at the trends that were happening in the time and just saying, yeah. what if we just exaggerate? What if this, this keeps going? Yeah. That's what sci-fi is. That's why so much sci-fi gets right because, and it's depressing when they get it right about the depressing things because they're going, okay, let's say no one fixes this. What's going to happen? And fuck, no one fixed it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they could see, they could see Reagan and his, his cronies trying to sell America out from underneath us. And yep. Um, they said, all right, well, if America is for sale, um, what else is for sale? Is our, is our yep. very humanity for sale? And the thing that I struck with the most when I was watching the movie this time, and I don't care if this sounds pretentious, the movie is, is a story of self-actualization about self-realization, yeah. even within the strict confines of a, a capitalist system you can't escape. Uh, you can only escape through death. And with, with RoboCop, you, he can't even escape it through death. They'll just keep turning him back on and fixing yeah. his weird robot leg or whatever rocket blew him up or whatever. They'll just keep fixing him and waking him up and feeding him his little paste and doing whatever they need to do. Uh, because he is, he, he's, uh, he, they, they made a product that um, a sleek, shiny american product uh that is built to serve its purpose and they'll be damned if they they lose out on this project lead i mean ed209 was a disaster they can't sell that to the military they should uh they They can't buy sell that for a dollar yeah they can't sell that for a dollar and so even the small rebellion that robocop has at the end of trying to to gain back or create identity. an identity yeah. uh, is a rebellion. And I, and, I, and I love that, that that's like nestled, that's the heart that's nestled in this movie with incredible 100%. sound design. Yeah. Some of the best squibs of all time, like genuinely like just rewinding scenes to be like, oh my God, did they actually yeah. kill that guy? Did they put enough fake explosives on that guy that they actually <laughs> blew him up? Yeah. <laughs> um, just in, uh, incredible, incredible work. And like, yeah, we're, we're going to talk about a lot of in this um, in this theme month. We're going to talk about a lot of, of, of ways Reagan sucked and his administration sucked and how it led to present day conditions. We could have picked a bunch of other different movies. Another one that came yeah. to mind was um, the recent La, La Llorona, um, the Guatemalan movie. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. that is specifically about how American Americans backed military juntas that went out and massacred hundreds of thousands of dissidents and um, Native Americans, or I guess you should say uh, indigenous people from Central America. Um, and that was all Reagan. That was Reagan saying, uh, you know, you look at what we did in Guatemala, you look at what we did in El Salvador. Reagan saying, well, they're not communists, so keep the money pipe going. And, yep. uh, you know, we could have done Rambo 3. And which keep them from being... Yeah, from not being capitalists, too. Yeah, we could have done Rambo 3, which is specifically about how he funded the Mujahideen. <laughs> like, oh, that that came back to bite us also, didn't it? Yeah, um, I mean, there is there's literally 50 or 60 movies we could do. Hundreds, probably, if, the, if that many movies exist about... Um, 
about how much fucking Reagan. It's much like the Vietnam War, except it like it, Vietnam War is still they make movies about war and then it references Vietnam. As we talked about, even RoboCop, which is specifically about Reagan's destruction of America, uh, leaves out a huge component of it on the religious right. Uh, angle so and the moral majority and all that bullshit so evangelical uh, christians yeah. didn't didn't particularly care about abortion until the reagan presidency yeah they they yeah they tested pornography and uh they for some reason had people had trouble getting people that worked up about pornography um and so they yeah they it literally was a marketed tested idea mm-hmm. and now anyway uh but yeah well so we picked i mean i think we essentially picked four fuck reagan Movies that we just really wanted to talk about, too, which it also is great to align with. So, yeah, we're doing – I don't know what's going to come next, uh, but it'll either be Repo Man, uh, it'll be They Live, or it will be Brazil, which, uh, to Peter's point, uh, we probably should end with Brazil. Or maybe we should. Maybe maybe we'll do three, like, very exclusively fuck Ronald Reagan, and Brazil is very much uh, – uh, fuck Margaret Thatcher, but also fuck uh, kind of the the corporatization of the world. Yeah, yeah. I'll, and also, I'll have more time I, to I, read, I, uh, read articles uh, about Margaret Thatcher sucking. Um, so if we but also, we, just, we really wanted to talk about Brazil. So yeah, there's that. Uh, yeah. So one of those will be next, Peter. Until then, you have twenty seconds to play an ending song. You call me from the room in your hotel All full of romance for someone that you met And telling me how sorry you were Leaving so soon And that you miss me sometimes When you're alone in your room Do I feel lonely too? You have no much for listening to we love to watch if you made it to the end hopefully you liked what you heard today and if you'd like to hear more please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch and if you can chip in a few bucks that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward uh it wasn't an implicit threat by peter he just didn't know how to say it but either way we'll continue to make more but it would be helpful uh, as we explained to our loved ones where all our money is going which is all on server space uh <laughs> if you can't <laughs> uh if you don't have a few bucks to chip in we totally understand and you want to support the show 
show, we truly, absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on iTunes. I know every podcast says it, and it's because it really does help, and so every podcast wants that help. So please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically, they hopefully want to tune in and listen. And thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years. Uh, We really do appreciate you. Uh, With kisses and smooches, Peter and Aaron. (laughs) Mm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs>